0: you know, the, the moving of energy up and down the spine. This isn't because everybody's just like, Oh, I want to be sexy. This is a big part of connecting embodiment and sexual energy and chi that runs through all of our power centers, truly use our body as a vessel and manifesting true life through it, like truly being creators.
1: Welcome to the new age Sage podcast, where you come to free your mind from all the things that keep you in suffering. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe and like the video. If you're listening to the audio, please subscribe and leave a review. I would really appreciate it. Today's guest is Adrienne Ellison. She has worked with over a hundred women in retreats, workshops, and client settings to transmute personal and ancestral trauma, guiding individuals to claim the gifts that arise as a result of healing one's heart. We get super into masculine and feminine dynamics and how to heal yourself truly. I think you'll love this episode. Thank you. Welcome. Very happy to have you here. Uh, I want to start with what are you currently moving through in your life? What's the key element of your growth right now?
0: Yeah, I have arrived at a place uh, a lot of spaciousness in my life. I've taken all the steps to create the safest environment that I know how, the safest relationships that I know how, and the safest nervous system that I know how, um, to process some of the deeper things you know, from this life, um, and to just give spaciousness for me to step into yeah, this more regulated version of myself that makes moves from a place of discernment and safety and curiosity and like not a, a reactive desire, but more of a open question, maybe what could happen and being really excited about the unknown. Like I used to spend a lot of time controlling and grasping for the known and now I'm, I'm stepping into the season where I'm kind of flirting with all the unknown spaces that are yet to come. And that's where I'm at right now.
1: Was it always spacious for you, no. or were you? Because for me, I'm still working on it. Where if I see a shadow or I see something, I have to confront. My instinct is like pedal to the metal. Let me go and and just tackle this thing. But sure, you know, I'm sure you now, now know, or you're in a space now where it's like, you know, let me let me calm down and, and take my my time with this. So it was a journey for you actually getting to that place where you could be like, yeah, let me slow the fuck down and really process this at a, at my pace rather than just like, let's go.
0: Yeah. It's so funny because every time that I get, um, a realization through my contemplation process, the realization is always, you need more space. And I'm like, really more space. How is that even possible? And it is, it is possible because literally when you think about what's around us, right. And the dimension of time and space that we live in, like the space is infinite. Mm -hmm. So there's infinite amount of space and it's our need to rub up against something to feel like our belonging and like, we're going to be okay and that we have control and that we know what's going on that doesn't allow us to be safe in the spaciousness like that in between
1: what is your process of slowing down if you see that resistance of being like i want to go fast i want to attack this thing super fast i want to you know think my way through this what's your process now of just slowing down Calm down. What's, do you have a- well,
0: I love this question because the question is really about what is the most efficient way to move through processes when you're like find a shadow part of yourself that's, you know, repressed or something that's like disrupting your relationships or the, the things that you want in life, but also doing it in a way that's like actually authentically healing because there's. The, like, I see this thing and I'm going to go after it, which actually just creates more dysregulation. And then there's, I see this thing and I'm going to create spaciousness so that I can collect all the data on it that's there and have enough discernment in the behavioral patterns that have been formed from what I'm feeling. And so my process is, like, I look at it through the lens of neuroanatomy. There's four quadrants of the brain. You know, we're the species that has a prefrontal cortex, unlike most animals. And so we have the ability to contemplate and, like, really look at our patterns and say, oh, I see that I am continuing to perpetuate this thing in my life that is not serving me. We all know that, like, no long, what no longer serves, right? We have that ability to actually contemplate that and to be able to say, I get to choose through my free will to create spaciousness from the thing that is constantly triggering me so that I can become in, in better relationship to it. Because so much of shadow work has absolutely nothing to do with getting rid of a part of yourself. It has to do with claiming parts of yourself that you used to relate to in really toxic ways that now you're capable of relating to in more spacious ways. So for me, I look at everything through that that neuroanatomy standpoint, which is, is very connected to the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And I look at everything from the place of, I know that there's a part of my brain that's in the back left emotional part. That's our animal brain. And I know that every single time that change is on the horizon, that there's the potential of transformation, that that part of my brain is always going to be triggered to take in all the information that's happening, compare it to a past experience that hurt me, and tell me why I shouldn't do something that would create transformation. That's the part of our brain that Carl Jung calls a shadow because yeah. it's terrified of death. Yeah. Metaphorical death, physical death, all the death, yeah. right? Yeah. Most of us immediately go into that prefrontal left thinking brain and we go how do i solve a problem in this systematic way but the issue is that if you're trying to solve a problem that's from the past you're creating a solution for the past not for the future yep and so most of us as human beings in this society we are very wired into our left brain to say, "Here's this thing that I'm afraid of," and immediately I'm going to react. And I'm going to go into this this part of my brain that looks at everything as separation, everything as comparison, everything is this happened before, this will happen next, and I'm going to create this strategy. But I'm creating the strategy from the same frequency that the problem was created.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. I was uh, talking to a previous guest; he's an anxiety like a, one of the world leading anxiety experts. Mm. He was saying that when you're actually super anxious in that state of like. Um, mass resistance to what you're feeling in a state where you want to change a lot your prefrontal cortex actually shuts down like it, it goes offline mm-hmm. um and the worst thing you could possibly do is think your way out of the problem yeah, totally that you have to be he recommends this is like mainstream you know matrix uh, pharmac- uh medicine so yeah. even he was saying this that you have to get to a place where your nervous system's calm, calm down enough and you're in a new state of being Right. Where you can then address the problem. It goes right. to exactly to what you're saying is that. But the you question cannot...
0: is, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah. If the brain is so deeply wired into this reactivity of like, I've got to think my way out of it because the way that I'm programmed is like I'm scared. And like, it's one thing to tell somebody when they're, you know, like, hey, just calm down and create spaciousness, which I tried to do for years to myself. Hmm. But the the issue is that the wiring of our behavioral patterns. The amount of space between the moment that we're triggered and the moment that we react, that's the spaciousness that I'm talking about, that I've been talking about this whole time. Fragility in the nervous system is when there's such a lack of spaciousness that you don't really have a choice but to, like, just go straight into that behavior. You know, so if you have chronic anxiety, and this is something that's, like, you find yourself being incredibly reactive, which usually ends in a spiraling of shame, and, like, it's just, like, all these low-frequency states that just cling to each other, like Mm -hmm. best friends, and they egg each other on. And so... Very much so that idea of like, you cannot think your way out of it, which is a whole new programming and patterning for people who have continued to use control as a means to feel safe. Yeah. And so there's safety as an illusion, which is this idea of like, I need everything outside of me to be safe. You're you're never going to win at life if you do that. If you wait for everything outside of you to be controlled, you are in the complete pattern that continues to perpetuate why your nervous system feels so fragile. Yeah. If you recognize that everything outside of you has absolutely nothing to do with your ability to maintain safety in your own system, now you're starting to get it. So how do you do that? You move into the right brain. And I teach about pattern interrupt and what I call the pocket, which is the most opportune, perfect timing in your, your response pattern to break that pattern and to create a new way of relating to life. But most people need to miss that pocket like multiple times, multiple times and be like, I missed that pocket. Oh, like I just missed it in order to finally get the spaciousness when you're in the pocket to be like, oh, I'm in the pocket. And so that happens through the right brain, which is the part of the brain that doesn't see separation. And just like that back emotional brain, this is also a back emotional brain on the right side. But this part of the brain has no recollection of the past.
1: I was reading a, a book where I was telling a story. Actually, I have got the name of the woman, but a medical case where a woman... Lost functioning of her left brain.
0: Yeah. So this is from her book, right, The Whole Brain Living. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this is a lot of where I got my neuroanatomy uh-huh. standpoints that I teach on. Um, yeah. yeah. She she lost, she had a stroke and lost the entire left part of her brain, which means she was not capable of, of seeing the difference between her and the floor.
1: Yeah.
0: She didn't know the past versus the present. Everything was just, you know, just in this present moment. And um, yeah, so a lot of what I learned is from that book.
1: What's your go-to pattern interrupt to go from left brain to right brain?
0: Yeah. So... The the like key code that is the the most important aspect of creating spaciousness is curiosity. And you don't have to actually know how to live in the frequency of curiosity to just create a moment of curiosity. So as soon as I, I I always like say to just to keep it simple, and this is not like scientific, this is just my own process, there's three stages of a trauma response. So there's the moment that you are activated on a cellular level internally. Then there's a the second stage where you begin to engage with the thing outside of you that activated that, mm-hmm. which is usually like, you know, the thing that you're doing to seek connection. Mm-hmm. So for an anxious attached person, it's the t- it's when they're like, hey, are you okay? What's going on? Like, I feel I need to fix this right now. Like, don't leave. Or mm-hmm. for the avoidant person, it's like, I just got to, I got to get away from this. I need to leave the house or whatever, whatever that pattern is. And then the third stage is usually when you've attempted to do that same pattern over and over and it obviously didn't work. And it just re traumatized that old wound. And now you're in a state of like dissociation. You're like, I can't really be here in my body because now I'm living in the story of my pain and of my shadow.
1: Yeah. So let's put an example for listeners to try and and transfer to their own state of being. Let's say you're the anxious attached person, all right? Your partner isn't answering the phone for a couple of hours. Right. You feel that terror from childhood. Step by step, what can that person do? Yep. To move away from the the reactive thinking brain and move, try to move towards uh, nurturing their system to come to homeostasis. Mm-hmm. Step by step, what can that person do in that moment?
0: Yeah. So if I was working with somebody who's literally never done this work before, what I would suggest to them is to first map out what their pattern looks like. Let's talk about the things that trigger you, so that you understand externally, environmentally, what is it that dysregulates you. The second would be, what is your pattern of engaging to try to seek connection? Because the thing that we're looking for when we are looking to feel regulated and to feel safe is that co-regulation aspect, right? With, with like our, our caregivers. So for an anxious attached person, it's closeness. Closeness makes me co-regulate for an avoidant attached person. Space is how they regulate. And it's just, there's neither one is better than the other. So I would say, get clear about what, what stimuluses trigger you the way that you engage and then what happens each time that you're not met in the way that you're fantasizing because we also eroticize our wounds so the idea for the anxious person is that they reach for that person and that person reaches back and says oh my god I just realized you are the person for me and I fucked up and everything is you're perfect and I love that you come for me and it's like they get that closeness right? For the avoidant person, maybe that's the person gives them enough space and then they get to go back into the safe dance of like, they come closer, then they can move back. They have that spaciousness. And so once you track all that, the pocket lives in between phase one and phase two, the pocket lives where you now recognize, here are the things that trigger me. When my partners for me, because I, I do have an anxious attachment style, same my way. yeah, my when my partner's tone of voice changes, I have so much hypervigilance from my dad's PTSD and other things that happened to me in childhood that if we were sitting here talking and all of a sudden your demeanor shifted in the slightest, I would notice.
1: Yeah. Same.
0: And I would immediately start trying to have a conversation in a way to start gaining details about why your demeanor shifted and how I can approve it and I would soften and if softening didn't work, I would get harder. And I would immediately start to just, it's so subtle too. That's the issue. It's like, that's why it's important to get really, really clear on your patterns. And if you're not able to see your patterns to like go to therapy or work with somebody that can show you what those are, because they usually are really unconscious because they're so old. So the pocket is as soon as your demeanor shifts, instead of me immediately engaging, I would create, I would go into the place where it's like, I have enough spaciousness to be aware that I am triggered and I have enough spaciousness To not immediately go into the pattern that I always go into because I've created enough of that spaciousness over time and enough awareness over time to see that pattern never works. It always leads to that third phase where I'm just, you know, sitting on the couch, staring off into the abyss, dissociated because my partner did what he always does. He left the house because I poked, poked, poked too much. So the pocket is I'm very charged, and this chaos that's inside of me that i'm always trying to get somebody outside of me to help me regulate i've i've decided like the pocket is like the 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 ability to decide this is mine yeah. this is sacred this is for me and the curiosity of like what is it yeah. why is it where is it is really the key one so the right brain is all about sensation it's all about What does it feel like? What could it feel like? Because remember how I said that left back brain is like, it's terrified of transformation and change. Yep. So crazy. That right back brain moves towards anything that resembles that of an adrenaline rush. Mm
1: -hmm. Those
0: are two very opposing experiences. It's the person who hates roller coasters and the person who's like, oh, I love a roller coaster. Uh That's our sensory part of our brain. So one of the things that I do in my pattern interrupt is I immediately pause i don't engage with the thing and first of all i ask myself like where is this sensation and then once i feel the sensation obviously it feels like chaos it usually feels like a ball like a knot of like ugh in your stomach for some people it's tightness in the chest and when you feel that that is that's really just helping you understand the amount of spaciousness you have to explore these parts of yourself these unknown parts of the void that is your subconscious
1: i think what you're the power what you're describing is this radical uh, ownership of your own shit yeah. in, in a way. It's <laughs> that, sure. and the ego loves playing the blame game. So if you're in a relationship, perfect example, you know, automatically the ego will go, this person did this. It's this person's fault. This person is doing X, Y, Z. But if you kind of reclaim your power and be like, this person is mirroring this emotion in me that I have to see and be with, that gradual shift in thinking creates massive... Uh, massive shifts in your healing which is what you describe. it's yes. like completely being like all right separate all illusions separate all thoughts and things that detract from my own system and go straight to the sensation itself and own it as an opportunity to yes. heal that's yeah, exactly what 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 has to be done what is the what is that the feeling that you did or do still struggle the most with being with in your system like what? What? What do you like? Want to go straight to thinking away, yeah. or blaming people for?
0: Yeah, so I'm very clear on my patterns. I've I've done you know years and years of work on them, and um, I have a really old pattern that still likes to show itself sometimes. And the best way I know how to describe the flavor of it because it has a very specific hmm. flavor, right? We all kind of experiencing very similar things, but our our own you know unique our
1: own spices on
0: it. Yeah, very very much. So the spiciness of mine is that. Any time I feel um, unappreciated, anytime I feel inconsidered, time I feel like um, just not not thought of, not considered, not loved, not cared for, I had this old pattern where I would dehumanize the person who was doing it because, I needed to disconnect from the empathy of the entire... Empathy is like a very enlightened state, by the way. Empathy is like the ability to feel within, not like sympathy that's like, oh, I can kind of sympathize with what you're experiencing. Empathy is actually feeling another person's experience in your body. Well, if you don't have the capability to be with your own experience in your body, you definitely don't have the spaciousness to be with anybody else's. So the natural thing to do is like... There's chaos going on in me. I've got to shut down as many portals of emotion as I possibly can. So you, you're not even a person to me anymore. You're the bad guy. I've dehumanized you. Everything that I think about you is now like very linear. It's like, it's like, you're not a person. Like you did this, 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 this. You're just a fact sheet of things that I don't like. Yeah. And then what that does is that disconnects me from being able to empathize with myself because whatever I'm projecting onto that other person is ultimately how I feel about my own. Yep. Yeah patterns in my own blind spots right Mm -hmm. and so what I've discovered about that pattern over time is that if I create enough spaciousness between me and every single person because as an anxious attached person too the pattern would be like I meet you and the first thing I do is I throw all the I love bomb you I throw all these things at you I'm like here's all these things I can do for you and here's all these things and this is how great I am because that's the way that I create closeness from an unconscious way right yep and then as soon as I don't get that back now I'm resentful and I, I don't know how to be with that resentment. So now I dehumanize you. And now I say, well, this person took advantage of me and this, this, and this, and this happened. Right. And so then internally, it's really like, Oh, I took advantage of myself. Yeah. I threw all my cards on the table without any discernment of whether this person was capable of needing me, reciprocating with me. Did they even want the things I was offering? Did I even have enough consideration of them to think like, wow, maybe love bombing is really overwhelming for them. Like yeah. that level of, of not being able to see past yourself, that's where most people live from. And yeah. that's why people blame and they're reactive because all they see is themselves. Yeah. And when you do the work to create that spaciousness and have that discernment of like, every relationship is kind of earned through the dance of reciprocity. And when you leave that spaciousness, then you have this discernment of like how much I give to someone. And that's also a big thing about boundaries. I always say boundaries are not about keeping people away from you. They're about creating space for yourself and how much space you need in order to stay in the frequency of unconditional love for a person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's good you take it there. I have, uh, whenever I heard the word boundaries in the self-help world, something in my system would always be like, "Uh well, I'd always feel a little confused and I learned to just always investigate why I feel a certain way. It's not that I'm against them by any means, but for me, it's going back to what you're saying, I actually agree with you, is that if we go straight to a boundary to, to protect ourselves, it's very much like a put a wall up. You know, I am greater than you, cannot make me feel this way. I'm going to do whatever I can to make myself feel good. Very, I, I, I. Mm-hmm. I realized for me, it's like, all right, how can we actually, how can we make a, a boundary bridge? How can we say, you know, we can both be like, uh, have a, a vulnerable, uncomfortable conversation and say, okay, how, how can we both? each other be in a space where both feel safe and mm-hmm. what we're doing. I think it goes to what you're saying it's a different way of thinking versus just yeah. being like wall up don't do this to me you know you're a bad person I cannot be around you so it's a way that's different. what everyone does
0: when they first learn boundaries yeah, too.
1: I was like, what the that's why that's why my body I was like what's going on here and then you know yeah. I investigated and I said, like, okay it's yeah. this is what it is
0: boundaries yeah. are really about becoming boundless
1: yeah Perfect. about Set. being yeah.
0: able to feel so spacious in yeah. everything you do that Every moment you're tasting life and you're in that moment capable of being like, oh, I'm going to take a step back, but not like I'm done. That's fragility or like. I need it. I'm done. I need it. I'm done. Like that just back and forth, back and forth versus the like kind of like spacious dance. That's like I kind of want it, but I don't know if it's fully available for me. And maybe I'm not fully available for it, but I'm available to give a little bit more. And okay, I gave a little bit more. I know if I give too much more, that's going to not feel good. So I'm going to pull back. And it's like it's really all right here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This also goes to surrender versus control. Um, that I see it a lot in people these days, where they have a tough conversation, they don't agree on something, and they want to control the situation in a way where they don't feel the trigger they don't want to feel, mm-hmm. uh, which is the the boundary we're talking about. Is like I'm not talking about this. Like shut up. Like I'm not going there. Versus surrender. Just mm-hmm. just being in a place of, of self ownership, knowing that you can handle whatever comes your way. Where you're like, whatever someone says, whatever's happening. I am I am free enough to be able to traverse whatever sensations I, I come across, mm-hmm. which is what you're saying. So what were you someone who controlled a lot as a way of living before you, you went down this road? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Actually, through my boundaries work is how I learned about my kind of controlling personality pattern. Um, <clears throat> and you can always blame it on your parents, right? Like my parents really sucked at providing <laughs> boundaries and like actually sticking to them. But, but at the end of the day, like... You know, I I love that Alan Watts always says this. It's like, you know, you can go to the like, well, I'm neurotic because my mother dropped me on my head because her mother dropped her on her head and her mother. And it's like, we can we can spindle our way into that. But that's just another perpetuation of the blame game rather than like, here are my circumstances, which I really had no choice over. But I absolutely have choice about how I relate. Um, So for me, the controlling thing I've lost in my in my like really early years because of how controlling I was like, I. Would tend, I tend to be usually, like, one of the bigger personalities in the room, um, very authoritative. Like, even if I, I'm, like, very directionally challenged. The natural
1: or was it developed?
0: Um, I think part of it's natural. Part of it's my nature, right. right? Like, part of it's my nature of being that deep explorer. Like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to taste life, and I'm not going to mm-hmm. wait for anybody to give me permission, and I'm okay. not going to wait for anybody to show me how. That is my nature. Mm-hmm. However mixed in with the things that happened to me early on in childhood that made me feel very out of control and made me believe that all the authority figures around me were completely incapable of actually showing up and helping me that was developed through trauma and that's like part of spaciousness and doing this work is like getting clear because there's nature versus nurture right and then there's the nature of like who i am as a child like really looking at who you were as a really tiny explorative child that was very curious because that's that that's the biggest essence remember when i we were talking about that pocket yep. curiosity is the essence of the inner child
1: Yep. and
0: then over time as we become curious it's like i mean even though saying that like, curiosity killed the cat like what lame ass grown-up mm-hmm. came up with that for sure right yep. a very afraid adult
1: yeah
0: and then that those projections over time my parents were always really good about encouraging me to like explore life and do that. Um but both my parents were a little bit fragile in their ability to relate to my big big emotions and to my really messy creative process. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I think the the controlling aspect of like if you find yourself in a controlling type of dynamic where you you know where you're being controlled, you know what happens. It's like you don't even ever feel safe to be vulnerable with that person about what you're experiencing. So People who have controlling personalities, they lose people a lot, like cold, hard, and dry. Yeah. And that's really painful because then you don't you don't get that closure and then it becomes this like internalized thing where you feel like you did something wrong but nobody really ever spoke up. Yeah. And that's another one of my biggest patterns that would get kind of mixed in with that dehumanizing is that I would be so sharp and so controlling and so like authoritative but in a not safe way that people never felt like they had any place to like really you know kind of push back and Mm -hmm. so instead of somebody saying hey adrian the sharpness that you come at me with sometimes like it doesn't feel good in my nervous system and them even claiming it like i had this pattern with my mom and as much as i'm working through it it triggers triggers me every time i'm with you and so for me i either need the pattern to change or i need space from our relationship If if people now i have friends who will like communicate in ways like that to me and i love it I love when somebody places that boundary because that's a bridge. That's a bridge. That's a handout saying, I want to be closer to you, but here's kind of my requirements in order to do that. But what happened in the past is because I wasn't aware of my patterns, eventually people would just like check out. And then I'd be like, oh, that person just like cut me off. I didn't do anything like they're insecure. And I would, again, create this checklist of all the reasons why they were in the wrong, which is all about that left back brain. The left back brain is like everything is right or wrong. Everything lives in a hierarchy. And so a lot of ways that you can figure out that you're in that pocket is when you start having these thoughts of who's right or wrong, who's in the hierarchy before you engage with that, creating the spaciousness to be really curious, like where, where does that right or wrong idea live in me? What does it feel like, you know, can I, can I create like enough space in my body through pleasure, through breath, through tapping is one of my absolute favorite okay. modalities. I do tapping every single day. I've done it for years. I think it's like, it's, it's not like not a lot of people don't do it because it's not like the sexiest thing, right? It's not that expensive ice bath that you've got, yeah. everybody's got sitting in their backyards yeah. in Austin. It's free. It's easy. It's safe. Everybody can do it. And um, that's something that I do to create spaciousness in the nervous system. Yeah. every day.
1: Yeah. It's uh, the way you were talking about honest conversation in relationship. I think about it more romantically, but it's interesting to say about friendship wise, but I've noticed that, the, you know, the key way to be in a relationship is that complete honest communication and ownership of saying, you know, when you do this, not blaming you, it brings up these emotions from XYZ and XYZ moments. Um, I don't mind you doing it, uh, you know, not all the time, but when it happens, like you know, I appreciate you being with me while I, I go through this. And that way of communicating can lead to so much fucking healing, especially yes. in relationships. saying, fuck, man, you'd actually just, like, thank you for bringing up this trigger. Yes. Can you please be with me while I process it? Like, yes. I remove you from the equation. I just need support and love in moving through this. And, you know, I used to... So I have a mother wound, of a very distant mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my childhood. Uh, and in relationships, I would just... I'd use it in the past to, to like control them so they wouldn't move away. I'd, I'd do everything I can to unconsciously manipulate and do things to make them always be with me. And then in my uh, past relationship that ended recently, unfortunately, I, it was much better. Because every time I'd feel certain things, I'd just say, hey, I'm moving through this. Done nothing wrong. I'd appreciate you like, holding my hand while I go through this and feel it. And then I moved through so much shit mm-hmm. in that way. It's a, mm-hmm. that way. Of I really recommend it to anyone listening, just being that vulnerable and honest in what you're experiencing without placing a need to be fixed or blamed. Just say, hey, Mm -hmm. can you hold my hand while I do this thing?
0: Yes, and being able to be really honest with yourself. If the person that you're asking that from... Is Not available for that because the way the difference between a moment that re-traumatizes you and deepens the wound and Perpetuates the wound and a moment where this perfect opportunity of that thing from the wound comes up And you actually get to heal it in relationship to someone is whether or not that person has enough spaciousness in their own nervous system to actually be available to co-regulate with you for me with my ex like Every single time that I was dysregulated, it dysregulated him. So anything I asked for in, in the terms of like, I need support was actually just me inviting him closer to trigger me closer. Okay. And so now I see, and I have these relationships with men in my life, and I've been single for almost a year. I've been celibate for almost a year. And so I'm practicing this with all of my guy friends of like, when I feel that that trigger in me it's like really checking in with how neutral they are because that's the the other part is like the neutrality is really where all the spaciousness all the regulation all the discernment lives and that's not dissociation there's a difference between i've disconnected from everything because i don't have space for it Mm -hmm. and so like it's whatever yeah that's that that's one energy right and then there's the like i've connected to everything i've created spaciousness to feel it all i'm aware of everything that's in the field and i've neutralized and I'm okay with any outcome that comes. That's like a really high level way of living mm-hmm. through the nervous system. That's in, that's true embodiment, yeah. right? So there are people in my life who are embodied and who are safe. The tricky part about trauma is that the charge, the desire, that part of us, it's like mm, towards another person. That's trauma. 100%. So naturally, when we are triggered, we are going to be charged and drawn towards the very thing that has the potential to open that wound. But our discernment comes in when we realize, if I open this wound with this person, is it likely that they're going to be available? And and even more importantly than that, am I actually available to really claim this for myself yeah. with them as the mirror? If the answer is no, if they've, a, if and this is where it comes down to, there's a difference between hope and trust in a relationship. Hope is like, you've never showed up for me. I really hope you do this time. Probably just going to re-traumatize you over and over again if you're in a dynamic like that if somebody has shown up for you over and over and over again and you're triggered into the place of like they're not going to show up for me that actually is a really beautiful opportunity because you've built trust with that person and now the mirror is really clean you're like oh this is my shit yeah this is clearly my shit where when you're in a dynamic with someone who's lying to you and gaslighting you you can't be like hey can you hold space for this jealousy of mine while you're actively lying to me about people that you're texting. Yeah. Like that is, and, and that happens. That's what, that's exactly what I did in my last relationship. It was like, I was so available to work on my stuff. And so it wasn't, it wasn't me. That was the problem, but I was always putting it on me as the problem. And it's like, o- over time, the problem was me continuing to reach outside myself to be validated. Cause I wouldn't validate my own experience. Yeah. And so I would continue to be in that pattern of like, you've proven that you're not capable of showing up. So I keep still reaching for your validation. Mm -hmm. Why am I doing that? Because I'm traumatically charged to this idea, this beautiful idea of reconciliation, right? Which is rooted in worthiness. Like, If I can just get this person who is unable to show up for me, which is really just them unable to show up for themselves, I must be worthy of love. If I can get this person to change their patterns, then I must really be worth something. Versus the feeling of like, I have this person in my life that's very neutral, and they love me, and they always say what they're going to do, and they're a very clean mirror for me. Naturally, my nervous system is going to be drawn to what's familiar. So the spaciousness is the ability to say, I can see that I'm drawn to this thing, and I can also see the very likely outcome of this. And so I'm going to break the pattern in this moment by not moving towards what charges me even more, but moving towards what diffuses me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I've noticed that the ego creates a uh, perfect illusion of what it thinks love should be for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you think of, you know, you know, if I'm straight to so be like, you know, thinking uh, this kind of woman uh, is exactly what I need to feel love. And just, mm-hmm. you know, exactly just a mirror of um, childhood things going on. But what I think people need to realize is that uh, love is so much more than that, that we mm-hmm. think in this like perfect illusion of it has to be this way. That we forget about what what already is, uh, how it already is, always with us, around us. Mm-hmm. So, how do we return? When you have okay, let's say you have that trigger, mm-hmm. you see uh, you know, Carl Jung's return to animal, you see or the animals, you see that the the symbolic traumatized uh, romantic partner that you would normally attract show up, mm-hmm. and you feel this, you feel this attraction, this, yeah. like this uh, need to then. Wanting to love you yeah. in that moment, how do you return to self love?
0: Yeah, well, it, that it all comes down to awareness. You know, awareness is that first step. Contemplation is that first step. When I recognize that I'm eroticizing the this idea, especially like right when you get into a relationship and you barely know a person. I mean, people are com- complicated, right? So I could sit here and I could look at you and I could immediately start projecting all these things yeah. because my mind is filled with pockets of things that my, I'm still looking to reconcile, moments in time where I'm still frozen in the past because of my trauma. There's all this information. I mean, in this very moment, there's so much information happening in everyone's brain at the same time, right? Yep. So as you start to realize, like, okay, I realistically, it takes years to get to know someone. You know, for an anxious, attached person, we love to move in with people, like, right out of the gate. You yeah, know, two sure. weeks, two for months. Sure. Like, I've done this with so many of my partners. Yeah. And, and. You know, then a year and a half down the road, and it's like, you're not at all who I thought you were. Yeah. And that's like, whose problem is that? Like, yeah. who did you think that I was? You know, because that, that need to eroticize this idea. And that's, that's how the inner child that's not integrated, like, if you want to know whether your inner child is integrated or not, an inner child that's integrated will project, there's enough spaciousness in the, in the whole system that they can project all these things onto someone. And then that curiosity kicks in that's like, oh, I can so clearly see my desires. I see what you want, inner child. I'm going to give these things to you. Yeah. You Myself. want more touch. Yeah. Yes. Myself. Like for me, my inner child did not get, I was I was given up for adoption. Okay. And so there's just no telling how that affected, you know, yeah. my deep connectivity to my mother. And yeah. and I have, I have lovely parents that, that raised me like they're amazing. My mom's one of my best friends. But I didn't feel like I got enough physical touch as a child. And so as an adult, this is one thing that I would project onto my partners like constantly. And I would go about it in manipulative ways because I was so insecure and felt unworthy of getting that need met that instead of just being like, I really, this is the way that I need to be loved. And like, if you're available for it, then we can be together. If you're not available for it, then like, this is, this is an essential in my relationships. Well, I just rush into relationships. So I never gave the spaciousness to be like, can this person actually meet me where I need to be met?
1: Yeah. yeah, I have this saying for me is that the man surrenders, little boy controls. Mm-hmm. That when I ever do something in romance or friendship where it's like an automatic reflexive message to gain control or to manipulate, I'm always, ah, oh, little boy sent that. Yeah. What does he need? And I yes. look back and, and I see it. And then I, I feel my nervous system when I can actually, in you know, a state of surrender, when I actually send text or things from the energy. It makes a humongous difference Ener- yeah. energetically. I get met back with that when I send it from that need to control. They're yeah. not aware of a little boy; they, they won't answer, or they'll, they'll think of certain things. That that energy, beyond just like thinking a certain way, that making moves with that energy actually creates uh, ways of change in the environment. We yes. we we often underestimate that. That you know, don't do things from that, from that space of needing mm-hmm. that energy, because mm-hmm. you're you're gonna get something in return that isn't isn't what you actually. Um, desire. Mm-hmm. So, let's go back in, in in time for you. What was that point in romance where you hit that point where you were broken into awareness? Mm-hmm. Have it hurt so fucking bad? Whatever happened that you were that you had that sudden realization of whoa, this. You had that. We all the moment people are healing where it's gotten so bad that we get hit. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I can't keep doing this shit. So, what was that moment for you where you hit that that space in romance where you're like, oh, everything has to. Oh wow.
0: Um, for my 30th birthday, I decided to do a 7-day dry fast.
1: Wow. so What's for, the, what is that exactly?
0: Yeah, um so I definitely don't recommend this to to people at all. <laughs> Just for me- medical Don't sue me. Please don't do this at home on your own. Um I'm I'm very experimental so for uh-huh. me I, I decided the risk was worth the reward. I did a lot of research and I felt like it was a, a super yes for me, but I I went 10 days with no food, 7 days with no water. Wow. and like there's it's not something that very many people talk about and I only know three other people on, on the planet that I've ever done I'm sure there's a lot more that have but personally I only know that many people um, And I only know one other person who's gone as long as I did and I did it for radical healing stuff I have a long journey of healing my endometriosis healing hormone imbalance infertility metabolic dysfunction all that stuff That's a whole nother okay. <laughs> podcast. Yeah um, But I it was the first time in my life where I actually did not have the reservoir of energy to give into my partnership at all i had nothing to give by day six and seven i had nothing to give how
1: do you come to the realization of like wow i actually have nothing to give
0: i couldn't even think about anything but the next moment i was in such a deep space of like i have my body is fighting so hard to extract water from the cells of my fat to keep itself hydrated it's then the only two functions it has is i need to water to rehydrate myself and in order to get water i need to produce energy so i'm going to eat the cells that are no longer supporting so like you know the, the cells that are not just dis- are dysfunctional pieces of your dna that are not like working at the the highest place that they possibly can they call them senescent cells i'm going to eat those convert energy so that i can go pull water eat that convert energy go pull water there's nothing... My body wasn't even producing, like, normal hormones, neurotransmitters. It wasn't producing serotonin. It wasn't producing... I, I, by day four, I wasn't sleeping anymore. Like, yep. I'm... And, you know, at this point, my body doesn't have the reservoir to do anything other than create energy, extract water, create energy, extract water. The first time in my life that I had absolutely nothing to give my partnership, and I got to see the truth. Wow. And my partner was not interested in supporting me, giving back to me, and in fact... I was able to see that this, he saw this as an opportunity to like do all the things that normally when I was kind of micromanaging him, that he had all the space to do it. Yeah. And it was, it was so devastating. It like crushed me. I mean, to the point where my first day of my dry fast, I'm like, I wake up and he's like cooking bacon in the kitchen and, and it wasn't like there's anything wrong with that. It was just like the lack of consideration. And then, I mean, just to give, there was a lot more that happened in between there, but he was 15 minutes late bringing me water to break yeah. my dry fast mm-hmm. like I go seven days with no water yeah. and it's just like it's like oh like can't be on time you know kind of energy and and um, was on the phone so wasn't even with me when I was able to break my my fast like just yeah. so many things that were more important than what I was experiencing and and I'd had that realization a few other times but this was the pocket where. It hit me so hard. I came home from the dry fast to, like, a house that was disgusting. My best friend came in and she was cleaning it for me just so that coming out of this, like, really deep experience, I could be in a clean and nourishing and safe space, you yep. know? I had to call on other people outside of my relationship to support me. And and I had to be with the realization of, like, oh, my God, like, this was here all along. But I was never quiet enough alone enough, and really in a state of not consuming and numbing, like, mm. even, like, taking a drink of water when you're thirsty, like, not to say that that's numbing, but, like, it does satiate. Of course, yeah. Right? So, when you're not able to satiate yourself, and the body goes through all these wants, and you don't give in to the wants, you're in the void of, like, infinite potential. I mean, I, I unlocked so many codes within that space, and it healed so many things in my body and how I got so clear on so many things. But that was the moment where it was like, you know, and I, it was really like kind of rock bottom for me. Because yeah. right after that, we broke up. I went to Hawaii. He moved out. I had like three times the amount of bills that I had had before. And like really had to, to see the truth of what was always there. But what I never created the spaciousness to to really be there and the other thing that happens when you're not feeding and numbing and you're not continuing to perpetuate cycles of dysregulation when you're in rest and digest it literally means your body is resting and digesting not just food but energy emotions like and how many of us live in a deep state of rest and digest not many people Yep. right like that's like if you're a really regulated person you're in the top less than one percent of people who are Truly in their alpha, truly the most grounded, peaceful person in the room, right? Yeah. And so for me, coming to that place where I wasn't intaking anything and the body was doing nothing but just eating itself and digesting things that had never had the space to be digested, that was the moment of full clarity, fully seeing everything.
1: So you were feeling emotions and certain traumas you weren't aware of before certain feelings were oh, coming after yeah. you're like where the fuck did this come from you know it, oh, it yeah. was that well wow.
0: not necessarily emotions because i feel like our emotions we they they do come up and like they're there in the field but this was the there was like things that came up that have never come up in ceremonies like before this i had sat through ayahuasca seven times okay i had sat in multiple different medicine ceremonies yeah. and in every one I had prayed, I'd gone in with the intention of like, I would, I would love to grieve and open the box of my dad's death. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I mean, heroic doses of mushrooms, all these different psychedelic experiences never touched the box of my dad's death. And then on the night, the sixth night going into my seventh day of my dry fast, exactly seven years to the month that my dad died, full cathartic release about my dad. Wow. And I can just see... All those moments where this was in my system and it wanted to be digested, but it was it was a big one. It's a big yeah. one, right? Yeah. And so that grief, like anything that I was doing, like social media and consuming food and even just drinking water, it was like that my system was really waiting for the opportunity and the spaciousness. And it probably could have gotten to there just by not being in the patterns I was with my partner. Yeah. If I had gone to Hawaii sooner by myself, I, I probably would have gotten there. The reason that the plants probably didn't show me this is because I never had the spaciousness yeah. to digest it. Yeah. And that's often, too, what happens is we see that shadow that we talked about at the beginning. It's like, I'm going to heal this. I got to go after this. Yeah. And instead of creating spaciousness for it to unravel and for the body to start digesting those fractal pieces that happen when trauma happens so that you can get closer and closer to the center of the onion to really see you stack it up with all this personal development work and all this like shadow work and courses and you get a coach and you go to breath work and you're doing Dr. Joe Dispenza books. And and it's like-
1: Calling everyone out here. (laughs) You literally
0: did the exact opposite of what your system is calling for in order to digest. And there there is that part of the ego that is on a timeline. It believes like, I have to get to this place. I need to do this thing very quickly. And a peaceful soul, a regulated system has the spaciousness to say- when it's available, you yeah. know, and it focuses more on am I available and less on are you available?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Am I available to digest this experience or to uncover these things about myself and to really be with them without needing somebody else to soothe my experience?
1: Yeah. You're talking about as a, a key component in the healing process that I've definitely become aware of is that how much things we do on a daily basis or second to second basis to numb or avoid what we don't want to feel and that could even be, you know, as you said, the relationships we experience. So, you now I, I, my mom died about seven months ago, and, and in that, uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, and even though I obviously was upset and things, I transferred so much of the uh, maternal love to her immediately. Where I was still grieving, but I used her as like a replacement to feel that that feminine energy that you know I never knew how to give myself because my mom was so close to me, and then when we broke up about a month ago, I was. That that grief just just hit me so hard because I had the clarity away from the relationship to see. Wow, I did not feel this to the extent that I thought I did. And in that separation, that spaciousness, away from what we used, to, what I used to numb, I was hit with a, you know, a knockout punch. It was beautiful. because I needed it to 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 move through uh, a lot of the pain. But what you're saying is completely correct. That we have to be very aware and careful uh, in in knowing what we use to cover up. The shit we don't want to feel, <laughs> yeah. and it's it's fucking constant. You know, yeah. check Instagram, check that email. You know, even fucking drinking water. It really mm-hmm. is constant. So, but it can get what the, the caveat to that is: it can get a little overwhelming if you're too aware. So, how someone who's very aware. Yeah. How do you manage that? A mm-hmm. like, constant like awareness, being like, "Oh, you're yeah. doing this because you're avoiding it." For me, yes. it's like fucking constant. I'm yes. like, shut up already, Now you know. Let me just be a human sometimes. But
0: it goes right back into that pattern interrupt. Yeah, going into the part of the body that seeks sensation as information instead of intellect as information. Mm-hmm. So every single time you find yourself in a pattern of overthinking of it's it's a state of consumption. It's literally like it's it's like if I can just if I can just keep sifting through consciousness I'm gonna f- I'm gonna find that thing that's the thing it's the thing, the thing, right like yeah. that that's fragility in the nervous system. It's like looking for the thing, the thing and it can't see yeah. the bigger eagle eye version, right The pattern interrupt is recognizing that you're in that moment and just choosing. I'm going to go back into the body. And the way that you go back into the body is through the breath. Like, as soon as you are in the thought, 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 thought it's like, how about I pull all this energy that's super heady down all the way through the breath pattern, all the way down into the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. And like, for me, if I'm really heady, that's hard. I can get the breath to like, <sighs> and it's like, I can't get it down any further. Because yeah. if you were to truly taste, instead of trying to taste all the words that are out there, because by the way, the mind is the, it's like the oversoul. You can actually access anything you want through the mind. Yeah. That's not what you came here for. Like you don't want to just be able to access everything all the time. That's that's you know, that's like when you think of of somebody who has like severe mental illness where they're not capable of thriving in society, they they're getting pockets of information from everywhere and it's super yeah, fractal. Yeah. So integration is where you're taking all those fractal pieces and you're living all of that through the body and you're capable of making decisions based on the information that you've kind of chosen to digest. And you know that you can only digest so much. Like we are only capable of digesting so much at a time through this human experience. That's why it's important to not compound more 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 if you still have a lot to digest and there are ways to speed up that digestion process there absolutely are and a lot of that has to do with the foundation of the nervous system Mm -hmm. and a lot of it has to do with being able to breathe fully like fully embodied breath and so what i would do is i would immediately bring all that headiness down into the body i would do you know 30 really deep breaths like say they say six to like move back into the prefrontal cortex or whatever when you're triggered I mean, I'm trying to do a lot more than just, like, stop my trigger. I'm trying to, like, go all the way to the place of, like, I'm now able to kind of contemplate. And I'm able to feel, oh, man, the breath in my stomach does not feel good. I actually can feel, like, kind of nauseous when I'm doing that. And then I'm pulling it down into my pelvic floor. I can feel that my root, like, oh, there's, like, anger there. There's anger. There's disgust. There's sadness. Like, there's confusion, you know. If I am capable of being with that internal chaos, that's the moment where I would start tapping. I would just start being really honest with myself. Oh, okay. Like this is here. It's always Mm -hmm. been here. It's not about getting rid of this. It's about creating spaciousness and, and creating a little bit, a little bit more availability to like learn more about what's here. And like curiosity, like, Ooh, what is this? What is that flavor? Like, I think I've tasted that before. Like, where does it live in my body? What is is it kind of trying to tell me? Can I, can I carve into it? Like, am I available to lean into that space? Which is why you see so many women dancing and moving. And you see like a lot of the spiral and the Kundalini and you know, the, the moving of energy up and down the spine. This isn't because everybody's just like, Oh, I want to be sexy. This is a big part of connecting embodiment and sexual energy and chi that runs through all of our power centers so that we can actually catalyze, digest, magnetize, move that energy, transmute that energy, like truly use our body as a vessel for taking all the consciousness that's available to us and manifesting true life through it, like truly being creators.
1: Yeah. So going back to surrender, how much of your ability to surrender is reflective of your ability to surrender to divine energy.
0: Surrender is literally just the process of choosing to reconnect to your breath and like surrendering the need to be in the thoughts. Like surrender is like, I'm up here, control, control, control. I think that I'm going to find the thing and I'm choosing to be back into my breath. Mm -hmm. And every time I breathe, my awareness tries Mm -hmm. to go back out to control. And I just keep, and I keep surrendering to letting go of needing to be here and choosing to be here.
1: So it's nothing to do with, with God or anything like that to you. It's truly just coming back to, to your breath. You don't think about it in that moment.
0: Sur- surrender to me is a sensory experience. Okay, It's a sensory experience of letting go of the pattern that you're currently in that's seeking to gain control of the unknown. Mm-hmm. So surrendering to the void of the unknown, the spaciousness that is unmanifested potential. Like we're true artistry and imagination lives which is why most people are not artists because they will not create the spaciousness to be with the unknown their relationship to the unknown is that's scary I'm not available for that because I live in my left brain and everything I do I operate from I don't want anything to happen to me from the past so I don't want to see change or transformation I'm stuck in my familiar patterns that is that's the surrender of that is like I surrender my old way of being and I see myself constantly going into that patterning And it's surrender is not just this choice that you make where you're like, oh, now I'm surrendered. Surrender is an active, it's not a passive process. It's a very active process. And if you've ever danced with plant medicine, you know that. Because the resistance, which is really Mm -hmm. what shadow is. Like, shadow is consciousness expressing itself with resistance. Enlightenment is consciousness expressing itself without resistance. So if you find that resistance and you continue to choose to hold to that resistance versus, like, I'm available to feel where this resistance lives in my body and whatever is underneath, whatever is the messages that I'm resisting hearing, I'm resisting feeling, I'm resisting being with, I keep choosing to lean into that versus being in the pattern of avoidance with it. Yeah. That's that's what surrender means to me. Yeah.
1: Also, for me, I feel like in my experience, the universe rewards, rewards surrender. But I'm always trying to control everything, predict everything. I, I get what I want a good amount of the time, but there's no room for magic. Like when, mm-hmm. when I'm truly surrendered, things will pop in. It's like, whoa, a, a friend will call from years ago that that's a loving person mm-hmm. that I never talked. Oh, man, I really enjoy talking to the person. Mm-hmm. You know, some someone just will text you. Them. Yeah, it, literally that. And I've noticed like things actually go my way when I try not to create a way. Mm-hmm. When I'm just, when I'm just, and when I'm just trying my best to be my heart and surrender, magic comes. Mm-hmm. You know, things that actually serve me come. So it, 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 it does actually create a better life for you in that in that way too.
0: Yeah, and Ramdas talks about that, preference versus attachment. If I'm very attached to the way that my plan, my path plays out, then naturally my ego has all these like barricades. It's like, it's like I, you know, if I want abundance, but I need abundance to show up in this very specific way because my identity says that that's the way that it needs to happen because that's what my dad told me. Then all of a sudden you have all these barricades up and you're not able to have the spaciousness for true abundance to come in because you think that you know what it is. Whereas when you're when you're truly like in that spaciousness, it's like (coughs) being available to let go of that patterning, that belief through seeing where that belief lives in the body, how it's communicating, (coughs) how you become dysregulated when something rubs up against that belief. Right. And then just going back and forth through that process, which takes no takes time, takes time to reprogram the body to be. Available for curiosity and to go to curiosity instead of to go to control.
1: Yeah. So how do you go about manifesting or speaking intentions without having control? And it's thing hard that people struggle with. It's that you know they use manifestation as a degree to like try and control the universe or or energies in a way to serve what they think is the best route for them. So how can you have that space between like okay, I actually kind of want this thing. You know, for you it's like maybe you know uh, getting a podcast. For me, it's certain success. It's like how can we actually like speak that intention while also not being in the space of, I have to control Mm -hmm. everything to get there. So what's the line between preference
0: versus attachment?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The preference is like, I really prefer my life. Like I, I know that, I know that the desire that I have is less this like small thing. It's like, you know, having this desire of like, I want to, I want a partner that's rich and hot and loves me and does all these things and he looks like this and he does this for work and like this is the lifestyle that we have and those are those are all great things to like put on your vision board but like in the subtleties of all these things that you think that you want what are the what's the because all those things are things you can give yourself really like if you want to travel if you want to you know feel healthy and, and vitality, if you want to have abundance and have wealth, if you want to, like, all these things, you can create those for yourself, and those are preferences, but the attachment of, like, I need my life to be this very specific way and look this way, that's what keeps the void energy out. It doesn't create enough space for new things, like you said, to come in. It crowds everything up, and so when you finally get, get to this place where you're like, I choose love, and I choose abundance, and I choose wealth, and I choose health, and the way in which that comes about, like I do have these preferences, but I'm unattached because I can create my own reality. And what I'm moving towards is like, I choose health, wealth, and abundance and love and pleasure. And like, I choose these things yep. no matter who is in my life.
1: Yeah.
0: The the attachment is, I believe I can only have these things if these certain people are in my life in this certain way. Yep. So what I do is I, I go into being able to, to see when I'm in that like deep attachment space. And you can always tell if it's attachment because if something questions that, you'll be really like defensive with it.
1: 100%. Yeah. And the,
0: and so if you're, if you're really defensive around something, there's not a lot of room for that to breathe. Yeah. What you can do is you can, kind of really curious about that. Like, huh, why am I so set on this? Why am I so guarded around this? What am I protecting? What do I believe will happen if not? And if it's hard for you to be curious around it, that's just telling you the grip, the grip, right? Which like, if you really want to create magic, unmanifested potential, imagination that nobody else has ever brought here because it's purely pulled from the void and it's never been created before, you got to let that go completely. Let everything that you thought you knew about yourself completely disintegrate. And say again, like for me, I did this in Hawaii this summer. I've always like I for the Such last a powerful place. So powerful, yeah. like I the my my dance with the void, and that's where I got to this place now. Where this idea of like I have no idea what the rest of the day is even going to look like. I know the things that I need to do to feel really in alignment with myself. Yeah. But I'm open for the rest of the week for next year. I'm not even sure. I have all this spaciousness because I no longer think I know what's best for my future. I know. The frequencies that I align with and that I hold, I know that health and vitality and wealth and abundance and generosity, kindness, truth, these are, this is who I am. So I don't need to go chase these things. I, I am these things. Yeah. Everything that plays out in the subtleties of like who shows up in my life to dance with me in those pockets, how that shows up, the places where that goes, I'm down. Yeah, I'm down because I know that it's going to all be a match to what I'm embodying.
1: Yeah, it's a very valid point. And going also back to the, one of the first things we tackled in this conversation is that you cannot create change from the same spot you've always been. So kind of you know, taking that trip to Hawaii, my, my business partner was, was was very, very deep. Uh, she was talking to me about, like, I just feel like I have to become something new for what I'm trying to create. I just feel it. I'm going to get this cottage in the middle of nowhere, my phone away, and just be there for a while. Just to literally be somewhere completely different with different ideas mm-hmm. to create that that change. We have to give ourselves that space to literally become a different person. And and uh Hawaii is also that that, that spot for me. Mm-hmm. Uh it's such a energetically powerful place. I don't like going there cuz it's such it brings up so much shit. Oh
0: yes, it is so yeah. gnarly. It's yeah. like very fire transformation energy.
1: Yeah. When were I, you
0: were you on Big Island or where were Big you? Island,
1: at? Kona, yeah. yeah. I, I was yeah. there for all of COVID oh,
0: for wow. a year and a half. Wow.
1: Yeah, so it was uh, intense. But That was where that's where I met my, my uh Awakening really happened was in in that area. yeah, but I went back there for for Christmas. My family' has a house there, so it's kind of our spot. It's, it's intense.'re you're, wow. you're, um, yeah, when I got back to Austin, I, I had for like a week straight, I wasn't sleeping. I was just like so much inspiration, creativity. It was hell there. It was It was true, like <laughs> really, really being in the in the pits. yeah. Um, what's it like for you over there?
0: Well, I did my dance closer to Hilo. Okay. So I've, I've done, I've gone and visited Kona for like vacation style yeah. and I was actually there four years ago when Pele erupted. Um, wow. And so I, I was there, like I remember feeling the earthquake and feeling the like, you know, the crater drop out and uh-huh. hearing everything and being like, oh, is there a tsunami coming? And then when I decided to do my my, it was actually during my dry fast that Hawaii like called to me so strong <laughs> and... Um, it didn't make any sense for me to go. And, and everyone was like, oh, Hawaii sounds amazing. And I was like, yeah, but it's like, I don't know anybody there. It's, you know, it's an expensive place. I didn't know much about mm-hmm. Big Island, especially Hilo side and like Seaview and like lower Puna area. Um, it's called like where the Punatics live, which I love. Because anyone in Kona, when they asked me, like like my Uber driver driving me over to, to Puna was like, you're going where the Punatics are? And it's like, <laughs> you know, it, there's there's a lot of people there that live kind of like the, the hippie lifestyle, even like the dirty hippie lifestyle, which I really dig. You know, I, I walked around there every day with no shoes on. That's right. my style. And right. you go to the farmer's market and um, get in the beach. The beach is nude there. It's like, it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, so it's like a very like earthly way of living. Yes. And for me... Yeah, I got there. I didn't know anybody. I had a lot of hiccups along the way. And um, there were multiple times where I looked at flights home and I knew I was supposed to be there. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, I let all these pieces of myself die. And instead of like, you know, having that ego release where you're like, I am not this, like I just am. And then the next thing you do is, OK, well, then if I'm not this, I'm this. And yeah. you like grab that thing. I saw. I watched my pattern. I was also reading um, Doctor Joe Dispenza's "Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself," which is like probably one of my favorite pattern interrupt books. It's a very profound book. It helps you understand how you're addicted to your own stress hormones from childhood. Mm -hmm. And so I was detoxing from that for two and a half months. And I detoxed from cannabis. I detoxed from social media. From um, yeah, being around my friends. Like anything that was like really overly stimulating. And I just was with the earth. And in that time was one of my. I've I've done some work with the void but never like I did this last year and it was like a whole year I had this experience where I just I got rid of all these things that were continuing to perpetuate my stress spikes and one of the things that was showing up was like as soon as I would see a friend or like call someone the first thing I would do is I would talk about the thing that spiked my stress hormones the most so like if I called my mom the first thing I would be like is like Well, I almost wrecked the car today. Like, immediately, the first thing I would do. And I started to watch that pattern. Like, why am I doing that? What a weird thing to do to call someone you haven't talked to for, like, a couple weeks. And the first thing you tell them is, like, something kind of tragic or, like, overwhelming. Yeah. Because I was so addicted to cortisol and adrenaline in my body. So as soon as I stopped doing that, weird weird shit started happening. I would get on the call. wouldn't even know where to start the conversation. I'm like, hey, how are you? all this spaciousness then I was really regulated and then I would be like oh my god I don't even know who I am on this phone call right now or like what I have to offer because I'm no longer in this unconscious addicted pattern I'm literally just
1: what's up yeah. yeah what are you talking about I was talking to the same business partner yesterday where she was telling me how I know you know we're both against using thinking a lot as a tool but it can be a tool if you test different like like uh mantras are things, you know, like I surrender or, or, or things that like that. Uh, and she was telling me how she basically, like a, like a business algorithm, A-B tests different, um, like, mantras to see what shows up in her life. Hmm. That you can have a certain uh, idea or, or belief or way of, of, of just being. You can see, okay, if I think this way and I am this way, what, what shows up?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What shows up? And then you kind of start testing that and seeing what way of, of thinking or being Treating it somewhat like a, a formula. Yeah,
0: it's like a, the game yeah, of life too. Exactly. It's like, gamifying it's
1: like what it. what thought that I have would lead to this person. It just kind of again not with control again, but it's it's more so sort of seeing like yeah, it's just openness. Yeah, just seeing like what way of, of being actually attracts things to me that mm-hmm. serve me in my development.
0: It's also magnetism. Magnetism comes from like having this kind of like. Mm, like this idea that like ooh, that that tastes good to me like that would be fun but not the like okay I need this this is why I need this and this is what would happen mm. that fragility of thinking that's not magnetic that's repulsive actually by nature which I know sounds mean but it is like if you if you have a need that you need met and you need it so bad and there's not like spaciousness and like you know that big spacious feminine energy that exists around something that's like I like the idea of this and I'm open for it, but I don't need it. That creates a lot of magnetism. And so, like, the conversation around magnetism, too, especially like social media and people who are like writing polarity content, that a lot of times doesn't resonate with me. Okay. Because it doesn't help us understand, like, what does it mean to be like feminine embodied? What does it mean to be magnetic and like, you know, magnetism? And I've struggled with this because I'm such a tomboy. Like, I have lots and lots of girlfriends. I'm very close to the women in my life, and I have a lot of guy friends, too. Uh, I mean, I have a shaved head, like, you know, I, I have um what people would call very masculine energy, but I'm I'm actually very feminine at my core. And it's that and I and I also experience a lot of magnetism over the years. A lot of people compliment me on that. That's probably mm-hmm. one of the things that I I get complimented on the most is my confidence and my magnetism. And I I've always been curious about it because it used to be very inauthentic. Mm-hmm. It's like people would tell me I was confident. But it was such a
1: fright. I'm the same way.
0: People tell me I was magnetic, yeah, but it my, was
1: such a fright. My, I, I used to be very cocky. and I realized it was yeah. a, a self-protective identity to avoid what I didn't want to feel, right? If, if I believed, believed that I was, you know, sexy, worthy of da 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 I believed all these things and it wasn't true. It was just a protective mechanism to really avoid that wound. But what thing what happened is that I did actually attract what I wanted. You know, I had the woman I wanted, I had the the well, everything external. But it destroyed me. Like, I manifested from the ego. Like, Mm. I I did get the things, but it absolutely fucking crushed Mm -hmm. me. That you can actually be in that space of faking it, and you will get things that your ego wants, in my eyes, but it's not what you want. Yeah, they're
0: full empty. Yeah,
1: it'll show you. It actually show you that, fuck, it's not what I want.
0: Yeah. And then
1: now I'm at this. So, my my journey was going from, I'm young, I'm 24. I went from being very good at manipulating people, putting on a mask to to get approval, you know, being very cocky, using whatever I have to to manipulate women, men, whatever. And then I got to a place in the middle where I was like, I eventually realized, fuck! I actually don't need anyone's approval. All that kind of stuff. We're in that space of disillusionment. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, kind of like a, a loving nihilism, where you kind of like would love being like, man, nothing really fucking matters. But but healing this, and then I but then I isolated a lot. It was the journey of I like two years alone all the time, working, building whatever this is, and now I'm in a space where it's okay. I I think I've gotten to that place where I can move. How do I actually move towards uh, making friends, getting in that space? Uh, naturally with surrender rather than actually need using it for control like mm-hmm. it's that space like, how do i actually move to you know making friends doing all that kind of stuff not in the energy of like networking how can i get this approval it's yeah, a different space to oriented. be in yeah it's a very different space to be in it's, yeah. it's it's strange because my system is so used to to that it's a, very, it's a delicate dance
0: it is a delicate yeah. dance yeah and everything it's like everything we're talking about just really comes back to all, all these desires, like if it's like, oh, I, I would love to be magnetic. I would love to, to you know, not feel outcome oriented. I would love to not be reactive. I would love to manifest from the void. For like anybody who's going to listen to this, all of that can really be simplified into when you are really regulated in your nervous system and you prioritize feeling spaciousness between you and the stimulus outside of you. And you allow the natural process that needs to unfold of contemplation into awareness into more spaciousness so that you can pattern interrupt so that you can really discern how you want to move forward. And you're having behavioral patterns now that reflect who you say you want to be. There's a difference. Like this is like a, you know, talk about new age. It's like there's so many people doing medicine, but their behavioral patterns are the same as they always were. And then it's like, now you just got like all these new age shaman energies that like have all the codes for you, but they don't embody the
1: codes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I realized. i have talked about psychedelics a lot already. So sorry, listeners, if you hear about <laughs> it again, but for me, nothing wrong with them at all. I have no hate. But for me, it's like, yeah. man, like, uh, do the work, like get, get the message, which almost always is, you know, being your body, escape your ego, just surrender. It's always the same message. It's always the same shit. The heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But why, but why do we have to know it so many times? For me, it's like, yeah. Be with it in reality. Like, like truly get there yourself in the real experience uh, properly and be about it. Truly, truly yeah. be about it. It's a massive difference. Like I'm not there yet, but I know people who maybe you're there where your your mind, your body are, are moving along at the same pace, right? Yeah. Like, I'm in that space of like I'm very aware of what's going on. My body is like still stuck in shift my childhood. So I'm, I'm moving it. But I don't need the, the ayahuasca. I don't need the mushrooms to go there. Right now, I just know that I have to be with it. I have to be with the fire. Yeah. I have to be with yeah. the... Stuff I don't want to feel, and enough. I, I believe in th- throughout enough repetition. Hopefully, it'll connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I hear you.
0: Yeah, I took the the last year up until recently off of doing any plant yeah. medicine. Um, for that reason, I felt like my body really needed to catch up with mm-hmm. the amount of in- information that I had taken. And I was like, you know, I it felt greedy. It, if and it's 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 very driven by the ego to be like, okay, I know what the codes are, which is like when mind and heart become one. Like yeah. that is the true essence of life because mm-hmm. from that place you're in a you're in the state of service and so if you if you know that and you keep going back for more it's because the ego doesn't like that answer the ego's yeah, like good. that's yeah. the opposite of what the ego wants the ego's like no the, the ego in the shadow is driven by separation it's driven by protective mechanisms and the idea that we are all separate yeah. it is like driven by the illusion of separation so if you go and you get the code that we are not separate and that the way to 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 heal you know, or it's not even like healing. It's like, it's, it's really just the, the moment that you claim that the mind and the heart when they are one, because they are not separate, that that is truth, Mm -hmm. that everything together is truth. If you recognize that, but then you like, don't, you're not doing the things every day to integrate that. You're not living in those behavioral patterns, disrupting the way that you perpetuate toxic cycles of separation and like right or wrong or hierarchy then you're just going back for more information that's because you are being driven towards it's crazy but like you're going towards the medicine for an outcome you're going towards and it's exploitation Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like it's it's and that's why there's like a a big thing going on right now about like there's just so many white people going into the jungle and taking all the medicine and now speaking about the medicine like the way that i'm speaking about it because we're not, are we doing podcasts with the indigenous to like really yeah. learn about the medicine? No, we're like, we need our healing. We need our this. And and again, the ego being like, nope, I don't like this answer. Going into the yeah. heart, living from the heart, forgiveness. Like that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that thing that's going to change my life and make me feel powerful. What are you serving, right? Yeah. So you're using medicine to continue to try to serve the shadow. And I when I found myself in that pattern and like really like ayahuasca was the thing that really showed me. Not yeah. for what it was, so I I don't regret doing that medicine. Yeah. But once I w- came to that place, like it was a very stern, very clear. You already know what to do. You cool. have yeah. everything. Well do said. not come looking for more. Yeah. It's time to like really integrate.
1: Yeah, I'm very happy that you you realize that because a lot of people will, will bat heads with me and be like, "Man, come on, it's fine. That's their dance." Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I get it. Um, but people also don't realize how much it takes to come back to ground yourself in your body after that experience. Oh my gosh. It, And people just like do it and then just go with their lives but it really takes a long time to get grounded again that, that people uh, often miss that can lead to certain issues yeah. as well. So it it it, it takes a, a while. Um, yeah. But do you have like any desire for it anymore is it truly just like, nah, I'm, I'm done. Do you have that voice coming back being like, ooh, you know, another journey, yeah. you know, or is it just you're truly like,
0: I love this question because I'm in such a new place. It's the first time I've ever been here where I I now see the pattern of seeking as an opportunity to relax into what I already have and to practice gratitude. Awesome. I always struggled with gratitude. And that was a big thing that I chased when I would go into the medicine is like, I know that I should feel gratitude, but I don't. And I'm, so I'm seeking this idea of gratitude outside myself. Like, give me the code of gratitude. Unlock gratitude mm-hmm. for me. And... That that is an illusion. It's the idea that gratitude is separate from us. And so anytime that I find myself in a state of seeking, I recognize, oh, I I've forgotten what lives here. I've forgotten what I already have. And I'm I'm just in that natural pattern of of seeking what I don't have, like survival. I'm in my animal brain. I'm in the, you know, the lack mentality. And like I know that any conversation, any, any time that I'm in that, and I engage with something outside myself through words, through behavior, I manifest law of it through law of attraction, that same frequency. I feel lack, I speak, I do, that comes back. So that's the pattern interrupt. And that's like the biggest thing that I just wanted to share today was like, you can change your whole life by disrupting these unconscious cycles that you've lived in that your ancestors lived in you can completely change your life into this direction and again like if you're driven by your ego then well life's going to continue to harshly reflect that back to you over and over again until you get the lesson that you already know because you've already probably come to this conclusion through breath work or psychedelics or just you know dream state or whatever it is and and coming to that place of like And this is what I love about, you know, the last ceremony that I actually sat in recently after a year of of taking off was peyote. And Mm -hmm. what I love about that ceremony is it is not about healing. It's about going in and being so present with the fire and continuing to pray for others in your life and continuing to redirect to gratitude. Like the greatest prayer is that of gratitude, focusing on what you already have, what you're already grateful for. Yeah. And like the... The person who was facilitating the the entire experience, he said, you know, when the sun comes up, you can throw in a prayer for yourself. And that was the first time that I didn't spend a ceremony just praying for all my own needs. Me, 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 me. I need this, I need this, I yep. need this, you know? And and seeing that that feeling of like, I don't, I don't need to go back and do more and more and more and more peyote. Like that one experience was so profound and all it did was reflect to me a way of being that I know will nurture my heart. Continuing yeah. to pray for others to be in a state of what I already have, and when I fill my cup up with what I already have, now I'm running over. It's not I don't run over because people are giving me. I run over because I recognize what I've already been given. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and then I just
0: want to pray for others.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, be you're, in service. We're describing as I think people have to do this who do shadow work is a duality of being like okay I'm catching something. That may not serve me, but balancing that with what 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 do I actually have in my life that I can be grateful for? them that I may be doing well to some degree. It's it's having that space between. Kind of, I think it's called the gold, golden shadow, where it's becoming mm-hmm. aware of the things that you actually are aware, aware of in yourself that are beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a constant suppression of of things that are good that you ignore and focus on the shadow. Oh fuck, man! I have this mm-hmm. terrible quality, but then you're forgetting about you know you're actually a very kind person. That's the golden shadow. You're not aware of that good side of you. So it's okay. Yeah. How do we balance both? Where I try and do this, if I catch. I catch myself being needy. I catch mm-hmm. this stuff. I'm like, okay, you know, Lucas, stop. We can't do this anymore with love. We got to do something else. And if I'm too hard on myself, be like, you know, you're also this, this, this kind, loving person. It's that duality of being. Yeah. You know, don't be too hard on yourself in the shadow. Also, try to remember what you're good at at the same time. And that's that does create that space, right? Where you're not in that like that dominating vibration of shame. And fuck, man, I got to figure this shit out. Mm-hmm. You balance it with like, okay, you're not. I have this loving piece in me. I have this great thing in my life, and that that space in between creates a, a ton of, of change. which change I'm hearing in you at this time in your life, where it's, you can be aware of things you're you're moving through, but you're also I feel in your system you're coming back to that 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 gratitude and surrender. It's that that space in between that creates so mm-hmm. much uh, so much change.
0: Yeah, and that that's what the gene keys work is about. And what I love about it is like it's it's called the golden path. You know, when the when you get into all the sequences because the shadows are are again they're just they're just highlighting resistance to this beautiful expression that lives in us of love. It's resistance to the love. So we access our gifts, what what the gene keys refer to as genetic inheritance because shadow work is not some like esoteric woo-woo thing that people are doing. It's a process of gene mutation. It happens in the body on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. And when you learn to work with shadows without again, the shame, because that's just more resistance. Like if you, if you go into a shadow and you just feel all this judgment towards it, you're just, it's just like building, building, building resistance. When you're able to create spaciousness, to be curious about it, to kind of dance with it, to taste it and to feel it. When you fully go into the shadow in a surrendered way, the shadow folds in on itself and that's where light comes through the body. So enlightenment and like light frequency, high vibes, they're not outside of you that you go and you collect. It's not a video game in that way. All of the light, all of the codes, all consciousness lives inside of every single one of our bodies, inside of our cells, inside of our genetic coding. It's only a matter of transmutation, which is a process that happens through the cells. When you fold in on the shadow and you fully surrender to what it is, instead of trying to fight it or make it something different, it collapses and light comes pouring through. And now you have higher states of being. You yep. have access to codes, And this is, this is also a chemical process. Like, as you pull more light through the body, the body releases more serotonin through the amino acid tryptophan. This is a genetic, physical aspect that happens with shadow work. And that's why I lead all the things that I'm teaching when I work with people through, like, transmuting their own shadows. It's the most grounded process because we're talking about neuroanatomy. We're talking about the nervous system. We're talking about chemical hormones that are being released and our addiction to those and how we repattern those through the body. That's truly where the work is. God and, and science and consciousness and enlightenment and, all, and freedom and all these things, they are not outside of you. They live inside of you. And the moment that the biggest realization is like the part of you that seeks outside of you to try to pull something that lives inside of you that is a disconnected dislocated fractaled separate part of you yep. and you don't need to do anything to fix that because you're not actually broken if you fully go into that illusion and you are not afraid to be with the illusions that live inside of you there you will find that transmutation process of where the energy folds in on itself because you're you're available to really be with all parts which which tells your your system i'm available to be with also the gift i don't have resistance to that gift anymore i don't have resistance to that higher state of being because i I now i'm capable of seeing the part of me that's afraid of love is only you know this small part of my brain that's communicating about things from the past which is also important like a lot of times people ask me like fuck why do we have that part of the brain that's like constantly comparing everything to the past well when I was like seven, I walked in the house and my mom was cooking something on the stove and I was like being all sassy and asking her about something, and I put my hand down on the stove like this to talk to her and it burned rings around my hand. Yeah. So like that part of my brain is like, hey, as you're getting close to the stove, like remember this is hot. So there is a there is an a, a beautiful, I don't like to use the word important, but there is beautiful and and synchronistic and um sacred part of all of you including the shadow so yeah the the biggest like suggestion for people who are doing shadow work is you're not trying to get away from your shadow you're trying to create the, the work is to create enough spaciousness to become curious and available to dance within the shadow because you no longer think it means anything about you yeah you're not that fragile in your identity anymore. Yeah. And that's where the truth is able to shine through in you because it is you.
1: Yeah. That's a, oh, a mentor of mine, uh, Lucas Mack. Shout out Lucas. Uh, he always would tell me when I was stuck in that, Oh my fucking shadow. He's, he's like, say, thank you, shadow. You know, be in that space. Like, thank you, shadow. Just with like a uh, gratitude and appreciation, surrender. Cause when you're stuck in that resistance and shame, it just like, it gets so contractive and sticky. And then yes. it again, it, it gains power. So again, like, I love putting out, Uh, Theoretical situation so viewers can apply this stuff. Uh, Okay, let's go back to the anxious attachments and a lot of us are needy in today's day and age Including myself. So let's say you're you made a new friend or you've made a new romantic interest Yeah, and that part of you is like uh, that that Shadow automatic side is I I want this person's approval. I want to be friends them. I need them and that that way of thinking How do we go about that situation? healthily does it do we actually need to just not go there is no, that
0: no no that's fragile too
1: okay so, so what, what is your, your solution in yeah. like following that that preference being like oh this mm-hmm. person could be good for my life how can I you know go about exploring that without also coming from that space of, of, yeah. of subconscious need for uh attention that then they, they'll pick up on so.
0: it's, it's it's always going to be the same answer spaciousness <laughs> so the second that I start relating to someone in a way that I am perceiving as like toxic or not as healthy, Instead of going into the judgment and into the pattern, I'm like, oh, I allow the extent of how much I'm grabbing them to be the extent of space I create. Now, if I need to be like, oh, sorry, I, I'm uh, this is a pattern for me, and I just can't be in this relationship with you because I can't be in this pattern, that's very fragile. Yep. Or the like, ah, ah, ah like that's very fragile. So just being really honest about where you are. It's not a judgment thing, like at all. It's for me, I I just went through this. I, I had a man come into my life and he's so awesome and he's so beautiful and it's just a platonic friendship. But man, the amount of things I was projecting onto this man, like it was really wild. I would find myself like prepared to be disappointed when we never made any kind of an agreement. And as soon as I saw myself, this is the pattern that I saw myself in was we had talked about going to do the farmer's market one day. And I found myself sitting on my stairs, same stairs I used to sit on, waiting for my ex to get home. When he would lie about coming home and not be home. And and I found myself sitting there waiting an hour for this person for the farmer's market. And he never showed up. And I was so triggered. I mean, it, yeah. it hit my pain body in a way that was like, I thought I was done with this. And I found myself in this place where it was like, my my system was very fragile. It was either... Go into the old pattern, which would be like, where are you? And then be like every minute, the amount of angst in my body would get like, more, so you, like a minute is like an hour. Yeah, right. Course, yeah. And so 10 minutes goes by. I hate you. Like, <laughs> that's an old pattern of mine. I'm like, yeah. I've already done the work to not live in that. So then the pendulum swing of that, which is how the system of fragility works, is immediately being like, I don't wait around for anybody. And I'm done with this relationship. But the thing is, is that. That level of relating is so fragile and it's continuing it's it's victim it's very disempowered it's like it's like i don't believe i don't trust in my ability to navigate these this thing that feels a little sticky and i don't have enough spaciousness to kind of see where i end and where he begins yeah and so what i did is like that happened and i was like okay i'm gonna create some spaciousness around this for the rest of the day i cried i did some tapping i processed out a lot of old things that showed up that were had nothing to do with this person and then later on that week, something similar happened. And the second that it showed up, the second time.
1: Funny how things just show up like that. Yeah,
0: it's like it's yeah. they're all they're opportunities, and th- yeah. that's where I'm at now. Is like I see that as an opportunity, and I felt like how disempowered I was, and I felt this feeling of like I'm giving power away to someone else to close a loop because I don't know how to close it without someone else's closure. Yes. This is a lifelong pattern of mine. I no longer give anybody the authority to choose whether I have closure over something or not. And I might not know exactly how to facilitate that closure for myself, but I will give myself the spaciousness needed to reflect on what does closure truly mean to me? And how can I feel closure in the body? And how can I feel and be with all the parts of myself that feel chaotic when there's not closure? That's my work. And so I took about two weeks of space from this person and I still reached out to to share love and I gave some spaciousness that was like really beautiful for myself and in that time I processed out so much old stuff from like childhood. Jealousy and entitlement and disappointment and projections and By the time that I reconnected with this friend of mine and I was able to share everything that I went through because I was, I wasn't sharing it from like a, I need you to know this so that you never do this again so that you can save me from my insecurities and my fears and my patterns, no. I was like, oh, like, thank you for, you know, just being who you are and in that space allowing me to, um, see myself really clearly because in the past. Anytime that I'd be in a relationship with a man, I would attract men who would love bomb me. They're like, I wasn't, like, I've, I've been in relationships so many times with guys that I never wanted to be with that were my, like, my best friend. And they were just like, I, you're the most amazing thing I want to be with you. And then it's like, well, since okay. you think I'm so amazing and you're so persistent and you love bomb the shit out of me, yeah. I would, that makes me feel loved and that I don't have to do the work of putting myself out there and being rejected. And so, you know, I got through most of my life without having to really ever deal with like my re- deep rejection wound. So I never thought I had one. Right. But I was always dealing with my abandonment stuff. So for me, in my last relationship and why I've decided to be single and celibate and like give myself a lot of spaciousness is because I still found myself in that pattern of blaming the other person and and also being like, you know, you were late again and like holding up that accountability mirror for everything that he said he was going to do but then didn't and then being gaslit as if I'm micromanaging and and the issue is that I was micromanaging and he was also not doing what he said he was not being impeccable with his words so it's a sticky mirror it's a really really dirty mirror when you're looking at trying to see yourself through another person but that person is reflecting back to you also things that they're not taking responsibility for whereas with this new friend we, we don't have any of those commitments so for the first time maybe ever I had this man in front of me that I was projecting these things onto and I was able to see all of it was me and that that gave me the opportunity to fully alchemize and claim everything that was mine to claim my jealousy my distrust my disappointment and all of that and then when I was able to share that with him he was like oh my god thank you so much for telling me that i will do better with my communication moving forward not because he owes it to me but because he was like i want to relate i want to i want to support our relationship i want to relate to you in a better way and also i also want to be more impeccable with my word
1: yeah it, but um so let's take a break after this uh share his final thought but what you're you're saying is you need to have very trusting relationships if you want to heal where and, and men struggle with this more than women, unfortunately, where it's that we can't feel manly, or strong, or alpha, if we say, "Hey, you know, when you do this thing, it makes you feel a certain way. I need this time to process it." Like you don't really see that with men a lot, unfortunately, and not just men, but we all have to get get very good at being honest in that communication. If you can't really say say that to someone, as a friend or a lover, they're not your friend or your lover. They're just someone that you're, that you're using for to satiate your own needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but on, the, on that point, we'll be right back. <laughs> we are back. Um, so good. going back to the topic of you know having a clean mirror. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I'm just going to push back a little bit just for the people who are questioning. Just okay. to create a good conversation. Uh, okay, let's say the dirty mirror has nothing to do with you, to some degree, right? So it's like the person who's doing that stuff uh, it has their own separate bullshit, all, all this stuff that then gets projected onto you, and then parties attracting that because you're in a certain situation. So like karma. Yeah, yeah. A
0: really karmic yeah, mirror is course. a really dirty mirror because there's so much in the field trying to play itself out yeah. that both people are not aware of that it's really hard to see what's yours.
1: Yeah. So, so Truna often takes again great theme of today's episode is takes that separation and spaciousness reflect and see the truth and, and that silence and stillness of being like, wow, they're really showing up, showing that piece of me that I didn't, I didn't want to see. So, you know, a- to answering that question I was asking is that, you know, uh, dirty mirrors will, will come across and, you know, they have nothing to do with you, but it, it does become your choice once you recognize them as dirty to keep using them. Yeah. But I think that's where we have to create that that separation. And also going back to that point is when can a person become that mirror for us? At what point do you in your experience feel like I can actually have these conversations with, with this kind of person? What's the checklist to you of being like mm-hmm. I can trust this person to use as a mirror mm-hmm. in, in conversation to help me heal in some kind of a symbiotic relationship?
0: Yeah. I think the cleanest mirrors are, you know, really old wise people
1: because
0: they've recognized at this point that nothing that you say has anything to do with them. A clean mirror is someone who is quite regulated in their, in their nervous system and nothing that you say tugs at identity or a part of them that feels threatening. So, you know, this is it's not about being like, oh, no more dirty mirrors for me, like, unless you're a clean mirror, because you 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 also have to be a clean mirror for people. And the cleanliness that I'm talking about is like, if you are experiencing, jealousy is always a really good one, and this is one that's personal to me. If I'm experiencing jealousy and things are coming up, but my partner's been really out of integrity with the way that he relates to other women, and I come to him and I'm like, can you hold space for me to talk about my jealousy? If he's not integrated and he's, feeling out of integrity in any way, the way that it's going to reflect back to me is very defensive. And then it's going to make me feel like I'm wrong. Yep. And then I'm not going to really know, is this mine? Is this yours? Is it what? Right. Whereas someone who is like very in integrity and feels very good about the way they show up because they're not reactive and they're very clear about, you know, their old patterns and they're integrated in their new patterns. When I come to them and I'm like, Hey, I'm experiencing jealousy. They don't need to change my mind. They don't need to tell me that I'm wrong or even tell me that I'm safe until it until that is an appropriate thing to say. Yeah. They're just there to listen. They're there to like be a complete blank canvas for me to throw all my stuff on and be like, oh, I see myself. But if if I throw my stuff onto a canvas that's got a bunch of its own shit, and then it's like, is the red mine, is the blue mine, is the purple mine, or is it ours? Like there's a lot of colors here, you know? Yeah. And if somebody's truly a blank canvas meaning that they're they're very they're good with who they are and they're not trying to make anything that you're saying about them they're like nothing that you're saying is about me or they get to a point where they're like oh wow that thing that you just said triggered something in me and now i need to process that before i can really show up in this conversation and that's what a really healthy like secure relating looks like is you no longer need your partner to be in the same room and validate that they're okay because it makes you feel okay and that you don't need to know that the thing that you felt was right, like, that's just all, like, very fragile yeah. in the nervous system. It's an okay. It's okay. We all, you know, yeah. experience that. And depending on what kind of partner you're with, you could think you were secure and then end up in a partnership where it's, like, now you're very dysregulated again.
1: Yeah, yeah. so I want to I touch upon your your choice to become celibate because I think we often throw all that out the window with sex, right? We think that, uh, oh, I'm attracted to this person. I have certain primal needs coming up. I'm going to forget all their, about all their bullshit. If they're pretty and they're attractive, I'm going to forget about all their trauma mm-hmm. that they're going to somehow pass to me in this connection. I'm going to forget about how they may go into patterns and trigger shit. We kind of throw out the window. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how much of that was part of your decision to be celibate and mm-hmm. how we should be uh, more careful in about, about our sexual lives. Yeah.
0: I just can only speak for myself personally. I realized that the people that I was most sexually charged around were the people who were very likely completely unavailable to Mm. actually co-regulate with me and so what i was doing is i was eroticizing this deep pain that was in me and projecting this fantasy idea of of how something from the past that wasn't reconciled could play out with this person something that was really painful and how that person is going to show up differently and they're going to rescue me from my insecurities and that felt like "Mm, i want that yeah so once i started realizing that the people that i was having sex with were literally like the most toxic people for for me for mm-hmm. how I was relating, yeah. it was like, oh, okay, cool. And I, I, at that time, was starting to really learn about neutrality and how true, like, quality manifestation of, like, what I was wanting to create in life was going to come from a place of neutrality and how not neutral I was about certain things. And, and then, you know, I would hear things from people that were like, yeah, me and my, you know, in healthy relationships, people are, like, scheduling sex. And I'm like, no, like, I want somebody <laughs> that just, like, wants to, eat me all the time and like devour me and like that feeling because if I'm with a partner who wants to drink my dirty bathwater kind of energy that's just like a freak for me wants me all the time which like I love the idea of that that sounds yeah. lovely and I've had I had an ex like that it was the best sex of my life but it because he was that way I never had to process any of my insecurities. I was never insecure. None of my body image stuff came up. None of the weird stuff that happens with, you know, women and like the way we look, the way we smell, the way all of those things that we have insecurities. None of that was, I didn't have to deal with any of it. So what ended up happening is I had this incredible sex life with this guy, like so good. And I came out and I felt liberated and I felt powerful and I felt sexy. And then the next relationship came and there was so much sexual dysfunction and I didn't have any of the tools and I wasn't able to to be with how insecure I felt with this person because I wasn't integrated. Yeah. So that was kind of where, you know, I had one of those patterns was years ago. This was like over four years ago that, that I really started to realize this. Um, and then, yeah, in in kind of like my most recent relationship, I just also realized how many things I was compromising that I needed sexually for safety for physical safety of my body and to feel regulated and that my partner just wasn't available for that and I kept eroticizing this future moment where he would finally be available and what I didn't want to happen which is why I went celibate was to just take all those projections that I hadn't had time to fully process and and the mirror of my last relationship was like probably the one of the dirtiest mirrors I have ever had in a relationship and and I got like it cleaned so much out of me once we broke up because I was able to claim things that I never knew I needed to claim in other relationships. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was such a gift in that way. And I also knew, you know, I hadn't really been single. Like I had gone through seasons where I was like single, but it was like I did an open relationship dance, which was kind of like well, yeah, I did that. With, how was it? It was you know a really great way for me to hide. um, being all of myself with one person
1: yeah, that's my worst nightmare
0: yeah it is of course yeah well <laughs> it's, why
1: is it an argument to do it because it's like some egoistic uh but I, could, yeah, I, I would i would really struggle
0: yeah i mean like <laughs> don't be sadistic right like if it's so for me this this was my because op- i i want to say this i had a mentor that was an open relationship and i was in his mastermind and it was like real real big and it was real hot and flashy and i was very drawn to it uh-huh But it was a great way for me to hide my abandonment wound it was like here's all these successful hot men and and two of them were sex addicts so it was like perfect because they were (laughs) obsessed with me they wanted me all the time and then i was dating a guy who wasn't being physically affectionate with me he wasn't dating anyone else either well so i like i i had everything it was like that it was like that same ego manifest yes it was like it was like the high of the ego where you have everything and you're at the top and you're just like wow look at me and then, you know, the the fall from grace like that is like, it's one hell of a fall. And so one of the things I started to notice was this huge pendulum uphill ego battle that I was in, where then I would very quickly after that kind of, it was like feast and fam- famine patterns, which I have a lot of those patterns historically in my life with money, with men, with happiness, like severe depression. And then like seasons of just like ecstatic bliss and not a lot of homeostasis and balance in between and not a lot of like authority to navigate in between and like stop the pendulum kind of somewhere in the middle and coast, which is like that spaciousness. My nervous system's like Wee! all the time. Yeah. Um so the open relationship thing for me was me really learning and I don't disopen relationship. I've I've like I've danced with the idea of doing it in a much more conscious way and um i don't know that i need an open relationship in order to have open dialogue open communication all the things all the gifts that come from open relationship which is really just open relationship is a mirror mm-hmm. and if you're in it with the wrong person it's a dirty fucking mirror and it can traumatize you and if it's a really clean dynamic it could it can probably change your whole life like yeah. nothing is right or wrong it's it's all how you relate yeah um but the celibacy thing for me is is me really claiming the spaciousness because celibacy wasn't about me not trusting other people it was about me not trusting myself Mm -hmm. not trusting that I wasn't going to fall right back into um another dynamic and and feeling like oh like that makes me feel sad that I feel like I can't trust myself to not end up in another relationship with a, a guy who wants me to be mommy and I'm playing out mommy and and then it's killing polarity and it's killing our sex life and then I'm I'm having to deal with all my insecurities and then I pendulum swing into a relationship with a man who's obsessed with me and like, no, I don't have to deal with it anymore. And then I get sick of that person because yep. there's no charge in that relationship. And then it's back to the next thing, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, within separating from things that don't serve us, like taking a chance to be celibate or sober or from psychedelics, whatever it may be, at what point do you feel like you're ready? When does it come to that point? Because for me, it's like, sure, take the time away to, to be with the triggers, to be with the mirror, but you're still gonna be faced with the fire once the moment comes to some degree. So it's like, wow. right. what's that point to you where you're like, I can do this. I can be yeah. with this, uh, with the actual event itself when it comes. Yeah. So how do we know when we're ready for that when we separate?
0: Well, so that's that's what I want to say is that's not separation. That is spaciousness. That's exactly what you're talking about. Separation is is being like, I don't need, I don't want to look at this. So yeah. like I'm just done with this. Yeah. And and then that's what I did with open relationship. I just separated myself in each relationship from the thing that made me insecure. But I wasn't just creating space, so the mirror wasn't still active. I wasn't still relating to that thing in that way where I was able to contemplate and pattern interrupt and all of that. Um, so I just, like, want to say that the, spaciousness is is the higher state of consciousness where we're able to not need to separate from anything. Because separation is is this idea that, like, if we separate from something, we're safer. Or or love, we can't be as much in love or whatever. Um, so I just wanted to say that because the whole, the whole episode's about that. But can yep. you repeat the question?
1: Um, it was okay, when you not separate, when you create spaciousness, truly like a, a, not away from feeling the thing, but by entering the thing, which yeah, sex is, yeah, yeah. that's actually what sex is, but yeah, so how do you know in your space when you feel like I'm ready to actually do the thing?
0: Yeah,
1: when does that moment come, and how do we know what it, know it's time?
0: yeah, so i'm I'm that's where I'm at right now, yeah. and what I foresee myself doing in the process of you know, maybe making mistakes and, and having, but, but having enough spaciousness that mistakes aren't, aren't going to make or break me. Like, I don't, I no longer believe that if I do that, I can do anything wrong. But for me, it's like taking all, everything that we've talked about in this episode and, and really applying it into how I, how I react and how I respond to things. So I've been thinking about, I'm, I'm I'm open to dating again. I'm like interested in that. And I'm, I'm interested in breaking celibacy if it's with the right person. And yeah. I'm, I have very clear ideas about how I want my, my sex life to be. And I'm open to, you know, being in a, a fluid kind of state of co-creation, but not in a state of compromise. And in, in, in that way, like co-creation, like really fluid and open and malleable. And so for me, my My baseline is just like making sure I stay regulated. And in that moment, what, what a pattern that I think shows up for a lot of people in sex is like you've come up against a sticky moment in the moment, and you feel like if you create spaciousness for it, it's gonna kill the mood. It's gonna you're gonna feel rejection or they're gonna feel rejection. And then, you know, like when i if I recognize that I'm in any of those, I definitely don't need to be like letting another person enter my body because yep. I don't even feel safe with myself at that point. Yep. So how I see myself doing this dance is like it's a very spacious, energetic dance where, you know, I understand now why the idea of like why people would save sex for marriage and like I'm not sex shaming anybody. I just get both points of no, view I'm at sensitive. this point, you know, because yeah. um, I want to do I desire. I love the, the tension because I think tension is something that is so yummy mm-hmm. when we're not fragile. Tension when we're interpreting it from this right brain is like, mm, like it's constantly curiosity, tasting, feeling, dancing. Yeah. Whereas like tension from the shadow brain is like, oh, no, 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 I don't like this. This is like this is death or this is change or like I'm not in control. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm in the the season of life where I've I've done the work over the last, and I'm honestly gonna say like this work that I'm talking about as far as where I'm at sexually, I've, this is only a year. only a year so like the only (laughs) only a year (laughs)
1: yeah which I know sounds
0: like it's like a long time for some, but it's not it's not a long time yeah um and it was because I was diligent about it you know and the the celibacy wasn't about shaming myself or slut shaming myself or not trusting me it it was all just about I need the spaciousness to really see what's mine and do these dances and I've gotten to and in, in the celibacy pocket like I have met a couple men where I had like a lot of sexual energy and that for the first time gave me spaciousness to like really reflect on what that was like what was it and with one person it was just really solid polarity like that person was so deeply integrated in their masculine that I was able to like fully open around them and also there was a there was an essence of I didn't know this when I met him because we only spent like a weekend at a kind of conferencing together he's married so I didn't know that (laughs) <laughs> so that was another aspect of the layer of safety is that he had no agenda with me. His energy wasn't trying to get anything from me. His energy wasn't leaky. He was just like so deeply integrated in his masculinity yeah. and his integrity. Do so you think
1: what the, the is it divine masculine or the masculine, the men that is the most desirable to you, Are you're describing a, a man who just is, is firm planted in the present moment, doesn't need anything from, yes. from a female?
0: It's so deeply clear on his purpose and his mission. Okay. Yeah. And it's not a mission of like, I'm going to make money. It's a mission of service. Got so like for him, he I can tell because I know him now as a friend. We got to know each other more yeah. and now, you know, knowing his life. And I wasn't trying to come on to him. He wasn't trying to come on to me. It was literally just a dance of energy. Like when yeah. I would be around him, I would be like, I would just feel myself like more aware of the textures of the room. Yeah. And like more aware of my body and my breath. And like I would feel myself dropping into more of like an open somatic space. Yeah. Whereas when I'm with a man who's actively traum- like triggering me because of whatever, I, however I'm relating, I'm like this. Yep. And I'm in my head and I'm, like, trying to say the right thing. So as that awareness settled in and over time, this person is, like, their mission is, like, to serve the divine feminine and to serve the planet and to serve plants and to serve consciousness and his wife and, like, his children. And, like, that energy, like, he didn't even have to tell me any of those things. I could feel that in his field. And that, for me, it wasn't charging. It wasn't, like, ooh, I want to, like, sleep with it's this safety. person. Safety. I was, like... I, I want I I want to know this person. Yeah. So for me, now that I've had that consciousness come in, I choose, I choose to move forward with men that I feel that way yeah. with. Yeah. And the other way is like, oh, like I feel the like eroticism of my wound that's alive in me. And I'm gonna work with that on my own in my own self-pleasure practice. And I'm gonna get more clear on that and I'm gonna create as much spaciousness as I need to not immediately go into that and kill the tension because I need to get to the outcome because I need to feel safety. Yeah. So I just have that now. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I my following is, is, is vast majority female dominant for some reason. Uh, and so to, I'm sure they're curious about this. What can what can they do themselves to build, build themselves up to be ready for that kind of man mm-hmm. that they ultimately uh, would desire? What, mm-hmm. what does the feminine have to do to, to receive that uh, form of the masculine? Mm-hmm.
0: When your nervous system is really regulated
1: always back going back to when it's it's true it's gonna always go
0: back it's gonna always go back to that embodiment is the most desirable form of the feminine because it is the feminine that is the most valuable for a man in his purpose so when you talk about the divine masculine serving consciousness and the planet and you talk about what supports his mission to serve at the highest it is a woman who is in her oracle that has capable of no longer needing life to be about her, but she is in service to love, and this person is in service of yeah. the collective. Like that's the truest.
1: Yeah. I, I ended my last relationship because so it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't getting it. right. It was a, she had resistance to to do that, not formally, but with me. Mm-hmm. It, just, it wasn't. It was making me energetically less. Uh, I, I I wasn't respecting myself. Mm-hmm. I realized just crazy is that like when she actually let go. Of, all love to her, she's amazing in many ways. But once you let go of someone who uh, is, again, bringing up things in you, such as like not respecting yourself as much, for me, for me was not feeling respect for my mission. Mm-hmm. And once that ended, I was suddenly hit with this mass respect for it because I was in that situation that that attracted a certain way of thinking or, or a mm-hmm. dynamic that didn't make me feel that way. Uh, so it's interesting how that how that works
0: yeah and I, for a woman who's like oh, i want to be magnetic i want to be on my oracle i want to i want to be a being of love where i'm able to just nurture and touch the earth and touch everybody's lives like that's a woman who's really embodied in her nervous system yeah. that's a woman who is giving herself the spaciousness to dance between the subtleties. Intuition is the subtleties. And trauma, when we're in those patterns still, and that's where we react from all the time and we're never in a state of response, that's trauma versus intuition. So all of this comes back to how regulated you are. So for me, if I was a woman and I could go back and I could create the perfect sequence of things that I would do back to back to back to order to get myself to this place, it would be a lot less messy. But the very first thing I would do is I would invest as many of resources as I have into gaining resources back. Like if you want reciprocity in your life from the masculine, give reciprocity to yourself back. You are learning what that means. I would invest my resources into resources that come right back to me. And the thing that comes back to me tenfold, 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 that creates the most amount of magic in my life is a regulated nervous system, a relationship to breath, because breath is the greatest metaphor for consciousness and life as in and of itself. I would learn about the nature of consciousness through the lens of my own unique experiences. Yeah. I would become a master of contemplation and pattern interrupt. And I would give myself as much time to make mistakes as possible and recognize when I'm in patterns of thinking that I only have so much time. That's the shadow. The shadow is a race against the clock of time. It's yeah. so, so terrified of death, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, I think what you're describing here is, is both divine polarities not needing the other to some degree is the divine masculine not needing the feminine to to feel at his mm-hmm. power and the divine feminine having been given herself so much to be able to be embodied so much by herself that mm-hmm. she doesn't need this and that like non-needing each other creates yeah. that and the shadow that, the that shadow church.
0: feminine is naturally going to want a man to abandon his mission for her yeah because she's not available to She's not available to defend herself. She's not available to rescue herself, right? So She's waiting for the masculine to rescue her. And the only way he can do that is if he abandons himself. If she's rescuing herself every day and he's rescued himself every day, their mission is so strong because now it's like it's all in the heart of service. It's all in the heart of love.
1: Yeah. For each, for the man, does that mean learning how to give himself a healthy feminine? And for the woman, does that mean giving learning how to give herself a healthy masculine? Is that a key part of the equation?
0: Yeah, I think like I said the the part of, you know, where we see a lot of like imbalances um where you've got and I, they're not separate. So it's not like nobody is masculine or feminine. It's it's more about like you embody the most integrated wholeness that you can within your own system. Well said. Yeah. that's really malleable, meaning that like I'm when I'm by myself my masculine is like constantly showing up for my feminine because my feminine is in its fullest expression of needs and there's not a lot of resistance around that and I find myself in pockets of that and it's like fucking awesome my manifestation power is so strong and then like this week I've been super super contracted where I'm I'm like I'm, I'm not really sure how to show up for myself and that's okay I'm just creating the spaciousness for it but when you have somebody the woman who She's very integrated in her oracle and her magnetism and all these things. And she's also recognized at this point, she's not waiting for anyone to rescue her. She's rescued herself, but she's open. If somebody were to come in, she's open and available for the type of leadership that she is giving herself because she would well, prefer so. to stay in the polarity of more of that openness. Like, And so her desire, her preference is to have somebody to be like that provider. If you need a provider because you can't provide for yourself then you're going to find yourself in codependency, not co-creation. So for a man, he, he does not that he needs to find a woman who's submissive. He needs to understand the value and what it truly means to submit and the value of when somebody submits, the responsibility that you have to show up in integrity and in your word and in your truth. Because if you're asking for someone to submit, but you've never submitted to your own inner God, you've never submitted to what God's purpose is for you, you well, so, don't value her submission. So you're not integrated in the way yeah. that the polarity that you want to have between the two people, it's sticky because it's not malleable.
1: Yeah. I often see, uh, when men get into that way of thinking of, you know, I, I, I believe, sorry for the people that may be offended that, you know, it is the, the man's, uh, responsibility to, to lead, but men take that as an invitation to control, right? They, they then, they, they want submission to their ego. They want, they think leading is controlling their their lover to meet the needs of their ego. To like, they want to basically control them to a degree where they don't trigger them. Mm-hmm. You see this in deeply, deeply mm-hmm. religious households, you know, Islamic, mm-hmm. Catholic, whatever it may be. Is that like, mm-hmm. how can I control you so much to the degree you don't trigger me? Right. Yeah. To me, it's like, it's not that's not what submission or leadership means. Leadership to me means what what you're what you're saying is like, I've been able to lead myself so fucking well to accomplish my my mission and, and yeah. build this thing of helping so many people that. I've had to, you know, not surrender to my ego. I've had to constantly lead myself to my highest expression. And through doing that to yourself, you can then, you know, help uh, your your, your uh, spouse or, or partner do that too. Without needing to control, having space for surrender, being like, hmm, you know, I may not know what's best right now. But but she knows in this moment, it's having that awareness of, of what uh, true leadership means mm-hmm. rather than uh, egoistic control.
0: Yeah, mm, I love that. Yeah, I heard something, and I, I don't remember. I wish I knew where it was from. This is definitely not from me, um, about how the unintegrated man is seeking freedom by trying, like, just getting away from every responsibility. Yeah. But true freedom lies in a man's responsibility, in yep. his ability to choose to feel free with what he has committed to, and that he's made such a, such a, like, discerning decision to take on that responsibility that... There is freedom in that. It's like I have choice. and i'm I'm actually in that place with my integration of my masculine mm-hmm. right now. i have I have this three bedroom house, and I've got the car, and I've got every week, it's like I'm getting more bills for different things. And I got to this point right right when I got back from Hawaii where I was like, "Oh, I have all these responsibilities, and I don't feel free because i I feel burdened by them. And I'm now pendulum swinging, you know, from that place of like sell everything I own and like start fresh because I don't, I didn't know up to this point how to build a relationship with responsibility step-by-step. That step. was really discerning that was like not overboard. Right. So I, it, literally just last year, I just figured out my pattern of like this feast famine situation that I kind of have gone through my whole life with relationships, with finances, with my business. And, and this is, this is me like saying like, I haven't broken this pattern yet. The pattern interrupt is coming because I've gotten enough contemplation over the last couple of years as I've watched witness myself in these patterns. It's been very, very painful for me. It's a lot of like shock to the system to swing so heavy.
1: Yeah,
0: but what I've acquired as far as data and awareness through my contemplation process and it through the spaciousness I've created is I'm fucking ready. For that next pattern interrupt, every moment that I have an opportunity to spend money, that I have an opportunity to acquire something new, that I have an opportunity to commit to something, I now have the awareness of like, Ooh, are you being reactive or have you created the spaciousness to respond to this? And so for the first time, I'm really sowing the seeds of this next season of my life where my relationship to my responsibilities is very, very like it's much, um, it's just a higher consciousness relationship, and that's something that I desire in a partner. When I when I get into a partnership, I do desire a provider. Like yeah, I'm sure. happy to provide for myself, and I'm even happier to be with yeah. somebody who loves and to provide for me because that's something that makes him feel that he is in his service and yeah. his purpose, yeah. and he's you know sees that. The way that I operate and where I feel the most in love with myself is in this kind of, this kind of patterning that that we've created together. And yeah. he's like, I want to create this for you and I. Yeah. Like that being yeah. in that level yeah. where there's like there are small compromises, but it, overall there's a lot of alignment.
1: Yeah, you'll probably had to you know feel good providing for yourself to then appreciate that that thing, which is which is interesting too. And going back to, you know, from from my side it is figuring out how to give myself a feminine side of that masculinity. For me, it's coming down to being with an open heart in the present moment, like like doing the things I normally do, right? Like working hard, trying to help as as many people as I can, but always remembering to be with love, to be with that open heart in the present moment. I think that's really important for men because when you forget that become rigid, brittle becomes too uh, hard. You can't soften. So I think for me, it's, it's that the more I come, keep coming back to an open heart in the present moment and really being rooted in that, then I'm more uh, ready to receive that. Mm -hmm. And you're appreciative too, right?
0: Yeah. Like that gratitude, like there's the the energy of entitlement really comes from victimhood. It's like, it's this deep rooted fear that you're not capable of of creating something. And so you immediately like, you're like, I have no choice, but to believe that somebody else will create it for me. And because that is so buried by a lot of like low vibration and stuff that you don't want to look at, in the past, I have had partners that were providers and I did not appreciate it. And I was entitled and they did not feel like I appreciated it. And they felt very like undervalued. Yeah. And that showed up at the end of the relationship. And then it was like, now I'm, you know, back to paying my own bills and doing all these other things. And then, you know, I end up in a relationship where I'm the breadwinner and I'm paying for that. And like, same thing, that person was not appreciative because there was so much shadow yeah. in the way that the spending habits were coming. And so like all of this, like we're all on this journey it's a lifelong journey of integrating these different aspects. There's literally limitless things for us to explore about ourselves and the unknown. And and the goal is not to get to a place where you finally understand everything. It's it's so that you can... That's why regulation in that nervous system aspect is always going to be where I come back to. Because it, it, when you start to relate to life, as like life is a grand adventure. And I don't need to know what's coming. I feel really trusting in my ability to navigate it. And I love the excitement and the spontaneity. That's when life is, like, so much fun. And I literally just got to that place this year. And, like, to tell you to be sitting on the other side where, sure, there's still, like, what's coming. But instead of it being, like, anxious contraction, it's, like, excited, tingling tension that then... Actually, I have the spaciousness to create into expansion. Yeah. And that, that's like very exciting for me.
1: Yeah, it's a good, good place to stop because it goes back to our initial point. So summarize the whole conversation. <laughs> Again, if you were to pick up a theme, it's it's really do create that spaciousness in yourself to surrender to whatever it is you feel like is leading you to your highest expression. Um, thank you very much for everything. It was an amazing conversation. Yes. You're really about it, which is cool to see. I
0: about it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Where can people find you if they're curious about learning more or or hearing more about what they just just listened to?
0: Yeah. So um, connect with me on Instagram. I write a lot of free content. So if you're just like, I want to consume as much free content as I can, I write content. You can go on there and you can read through tons and tons, hundreds of posts that I've written over the last couple of years. Um, I have a signature course. It's called Illumination. And it is a walk through the unknown, unconscious, dark parts of each person's shadows through neuroanatomy, pattern interrupt gene keys learning about the difference between emotions and frequencies and patterning and integration um and that is an incredible course that i have that's available for anyone in the public that wants to to purchase that um and then i have women's retreats as well so for any women since you said you predominantly have women that that follow you and and consume your content um my next retreat is in costa rica in may and yeah you can reach me on on instagram and if you do go through any of my programs i have private telegram chats as well cool
1: yeah well thank you very much Ladies, you know what to do. Uh, <laughs> consumer stuff—it's good, good stuff. Uh, open yourself up, yourself up for the retreat potentially. Um, and thank you for listening.
0: Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of